intraaortic balloon pumps. We have to know how to put in a, a pulmonary artery catheter. We have to know how to take all the stuff out. That's another thing nurse practitioners do. We take everything out of you. Could you fucking imagine? Like, all right, I'm gonna open this. I'm gonna open this chest. And I'm not going to fuck it up. To be fair, when we open those chests, they've already been recently opened. So it's really just like staple removing and maintaining like a level of sterility. It's very scary. Oh, really? oh well, I mean, I could do that. Yeah, really. It's just they like left the door jammer in there and you just. Gotta... Right. And then you put we we have a rib spreader and you you push it in and you crank it like this and it goes. Me. Oh, it's an elevator. I mean, it's sort of more like a. Episode 8, recorded September 9th, 2021. All right, so uh, here we are again, the Richard Wooten podcast. As I say, feeling very egotistical when I have two other people here. But you know, fuck it. Anyway, it's... it's I don't know that you've ever said that, actually, at the beginning of any of these recordings. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it, feel, it feels weird to what say... What is this? Who are we? I don't know. Yeah, I, we've definitely never said your name because I was always sort of thinking, well, I'm going to do intros later. <laughs> um, Why wouldn't you have introduced him? Because I don't know what I'm doing. Because oh, when, when we talk on the phone or whatever, we don't ever say... <laughs> You're like, everyone knows. Yeah. They already know why we're here. Because I can see who it is. Oh. Hey, this is Robert, you know? I'm a pro- program. I don't know. Right, yeah, I, yeah, I, I know in... Richard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello, Richard. We've known each other for 25 years. Let's talk about it. <laughs> and let's talk about it. That's good. Um, but so this is the first episode that I'm going to do where we have three people instead of two. So, you know, we're learning shit. We're... we're I'm, figuring things out um but so as usual we have robert rabel robert robel uh and we've known each other a long ass time went to since eighth grade junior high seventh grade seventh grade is that when yeah. you moved to dayton mm-hmm. okay well you know i was a cool kid i didn't notice you until eighth grade i was the cool new kid nobody's cool in seventh grade this is very true <laughs> this is I don't know. There was a bully in eighth grade that liked my corn shirt. I feel like that gave me a pass. True. It might have been a demotion. Whoa. I mean, if it's a bully. The same bully had my mom as a teacher who was a seventh grade teacher, and he really liked her. Maybe like, he wasn't a bully. A cool Maybe he was just misunderstood. He kind of had that vibe. He kind of had that. He wasn't He he wasn't as much of a bully as much as he was like sort of an... Outcast? A criminal? <laughs> a, an incredibly literal criminal? Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> um, well, I was know. trying to go to bat for him, but whoever you are. He's, he's, well, he's gone now. <laughs> um, but he was, you know, he was always nice to me. He was always a good dude to me. Yeah. Um, yep. So, so yeah. So Robert Rabel and then also my wife, Allison. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Did, did, did you go cha- with Wooten? I'm like partially converted. Yeah, it was fun. So the whole the whole like name change. You haven't been baptized yet. No. <laughs> I don't know, man. Texas might annul our marriage if you're if you don't. Change. I think my social security number is under Allison Wooten, but my and my driver's license is Allison Wooten, but like everything important, like bank accounts and my nursing license and all that is still damn run. Yeah, like it's only been five years. I don't know what the hurry is. <laughs> 
It certainly ain't me because I I could not have cared less about any of it, which is probably why it hasn't been done. If you're still, if you're still saying that in 25 more years, then don't don't worry about it. I think even people at work have given up because for the first year or so they said, oh, "When are you going to change this?" Because they all type my name in to put in orders and things, and it's like you know sometime. But then Maxwell came along, and I anyway, he's a Wooten, so. It's fine. That is the only that is the only reason I've ever heard that like okay it makes sense to change your name so that your kids you and your kids have the same last right. name. That's the only So that we're all the same. I mean That's the and I don't even think that that's necessarily a like oh well now you have to do it reason right. at all but that's the only like I really I don't know if I've cared less it's a very patriarchal situation yeah. and a lot of professionals that I know who are like attorneys or physicians or people like that they don't change it because they've already grown and developed their practice and their clientele with right. that name and like their brand is out there right they're not going to change it but well when my dad got remarried to my stepmom uh, she didn't take his name, and all the kids have her name. Well, it's, it's worked out fine for us. Yeah. <laughs> for them. I don't think that my dad's new wife took his name. If she did, she didn't tell me about it. So, yeah, it's so. So and anyway, they're like seventy. Um, I they care. When I I still I still think of you as Allison Dameron. So. Uh, because it's not that name change that makes us married. <laughs> I certainly hope not. It's not. <laughs> it's not as you know. There's a paper somewhere that says something. Yes. Yeah. Like. It, it, but so anyway. So what? But yes, I, I am your wife. Every day. <laughs> Reaffirmed. <laughs> um, Whether well, you like it or not. Love to see. Uh, it. I usually like it. It's 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 not so bad. I got I got no complaints. So what? Uh, but what I thought would be kind of a cool thing to talk about with with you, especially here, because of I figured we would talk about just sort of a kind of a a pandemic reflection decompress kind of kind of thing. Just kind of roll the whole last eighteen months up into a yeah, like a like a, like a, a, a disgusting ball like and. A, Bat it around here for a minute. Like a solid 45, right? We're going to roll it into like a nice little set, mm -hmm. you know? It, it, it ain't, it ain't going to be 45. Uh, a ball like an owl pellet. Remember those things we had no. to dissect and oh, yeah, that the right. owl barfed up? Bones and stuff. Yeah, you pull yeah. the mice out of it. That's 2020 and Oof. most of 2021. Oh, that's funny. Yes, um, true. But yeah, so I figured it, it's really hard to sort of almost even remember what what March 2020 sort of was like when shit popped off and, and whatnot. So, but, you know, so anyway, um, so yeah, I'm going to start by asking you, Robert. So how did work, work change for you when that stuff happened? So you say like it, it was weird to or rather it's weird to think about it now because i don't have a good visceral memory of what it felt like mm -hmm. at the time exactly yeah. uh but i do remember everything that happened you know sure because that that month is now extremely memorable like mid-march ish right which is sort of when we got kicked out of the office but it was like i remember 
uh, as things started ramping up in, I guess, late February, early March, I remember, you know, having an eye on it and thinking, well, this looks like it's going to be something pretty clearly. Right. And then there was like at least the last week of being in the office, I started, I definitely remember feeling a bit nervous. Right. And so to, to clarify, you are a software engineer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was totally shooting in the dark. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get this title right. Boom. Like, <laughs> he does computer stuff. You know, like yeah. this, the, the computer, you know, like you, you open up your computer and you, and you hit those buttons and you stuff on the screen, you know, but there's stuff going on behind the buttons to make the stuff on the screen happen. That's what Robert does. Tip tap that keyboard. <laughs> he, he like tails, he like tails the wiggadoos inside the keyboard to make the wiggadoos on the screen happen. I tell the hamster how fast to run, <laughs> when to get water and when to slow down. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, we have an office of like 150, 200 people or something like that up off of like 290 and 610 here in Houston. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, like, I feel like that last week or so, everyone was starting to like get a bit on edge. And I specifically remember one day when, uh, things like wash your hands, idiots started coming out. Like, (laughs) what the fuck are you people doing? Not washing your hands constantly anyway which was how i took that news uh and people started getting that in their brains on the daily mm-hmm. and i remember being in the bathroom at work and i was just like you know scrubbing like i normally do but i this time i went like under the nails and stuff <laughs> and the dude next to me washing his hands he was like oh man i never thought about doing that <laughs> he's like, that's a good idea <laughs> precisely and he started a doing conversation it. about hand washing yeah i was like hmm that's weird, first of all, but yeah, also, you should probably do that. That's good. Right, um, right. And so, I think, like, the next day or something, they told us, you know, don't come back next week. Right. And we're going we're gonna to go work from home. But luckily, uh, we had already been able to work from home. Yeah, it seems like that industry is uniquely prepared yeah. to be able to handle working from home. Because all I had to do was, like, pull my laptop out of the, like, external monitor on the table, put it in my bag, and go home, <laughs> and I could work. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, yeah, so, and then what was going on with, with me at the time was uh, live music. So I was playing live music, and and I remember playing the Friday and the Saturday before they shut everything down. And so... Um, I think I saw you guys pretty shortly before... At Natsuo. Uh, maybe. So, yeah, because we had played like February, like 15th or something um, at Natsuo. I videotaped a lot of it. Oh, awesome. On somebody's camera. Rad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wherever the hell that wherever went. Wherever <laughs> that went. Um, and, yeah, because we, we were playing so much. We had our, we, uh, it was with the band Small Deal. We had our album release in January, and then we were playing at Natsuo in February. And then it was... The Friday and the Saturday, like March 13th and March 14th or 14th and 15th or whatever was the Friday and Saturday. We played a benefit show at Dan Electro's and everyone was being real cheeky about everything, like buying people Coronas and stuff, hmm. yes. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and it was right whenever it was like, uh, you know, and the weekend before we had really, we had... Uh, our son's uh, second. Second. God damn it. His second birthday party. And we had really considered canceling it, but yeah. we decided to mm. go ahead and, and go, right. go go with it. But we asked like more at-risk people to 
stay home and stuff. And I remember some friends who were like, didn't even know what we were worried about and others that, you know, understood. Right. And so that would have been around March 7th ish. Yeah. And and we decided to go and do it the following weekend. Um, I decided not to go to your shows. Right. Right. I canceled our sitters and was like, right. Skipping these. Right. Oh yeah. And then uh, with Shay's band, we had done a studio, a live studio performance and you know, the day at, you know, so we were doing, doing so much stuff. But yeah, that we played at Dan Electro's, and then the next day, the Saturday, like things started to, to get clamped down. And I remember, we played at Natsuo that night, and that was, I think, the last live gig at Natsuo. Um, was that place closed down? Now? I don't know. I think they tried to pivot into being another type of business, okay, or something like that. Um, but it was the last gig that was played there for quite some time. Oh and, wow. And so, because everything they was shut down. They started doing like coffee or something, I think. Right, a lot of, a lot of businesses had to try to do sort yeah. of stuff like that. And yeah. But I remember the vibe walking down the street, um, singing do a diddy, diddy don't. <laughs> I remember <laughs> the vibe walking <laughs> Sorry. Um, but it was, so it was, it was like 8.30, you know, like we're loading in and the vibe on the street was the same that it is. Word on the street was. <laughs> Man, fuck y'all. It was a vibe. I don't know what I else to call it. I didn't say anything. And uh, it was, it felt at like 8.45 p.m. before we were even loaded in and set up, it felt like 2.30 or 3 o'clock a.m. Like, you know, like that vibe when you're downtown and everyone that is, everyone that is out is is out because you know what I mean? like there's just a little bit of tension and a little bit of uh-huh. like you you know when you run into people and it's like oh man you, you you take a little more risks than the average bear and uh and but that's how it was early you know it was a really weird 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 feeling and uh but just less people right mm-hmm. but then uh but you know i mean but it ended up being a really really great show it was it was it was a lot of fun and all sorts of stuff um and so, 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 Allison, for 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 your work, did were you able to do something like that, like just unplug, unplug, just, your your patient, just and, go on home and just take them home, wheel them home, work remotely. Um, when you mentioned that, Robert, I thought about one of my friends up in Seattle. She essentially she works in the IT world, and she unplugged her stuff and went home, and she went back to the office in like the last two months i guess and she found a muffin from march of 2020 <laughs> that was in her desk because it was like oh we'll be back soon exactly like I, this I totally, isn't gonna be that long I, like i think i left like half of a grandma's cookie package on my desk right and it's, it's boxed up somewhere that i haven't seen in a year and a half wow like one of those like iced like the peanut butter ones yeah oh so fucking good mm. i bet it's not good now i bet i'm gonna go find out <laughs> Whether I want to or not, <laughs> I'm, as far as I could, I will never sit back in that office. The, 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 that's your workers unite protest. Is I'm going to eat this fucking muffin. Yeah. Nobody crosses this picket line. <laughs> Nobody eats this muffin but me. Um, yeah. So so yeah. So to catch everyone up um, oh. on what you do. Mm-hmm. So, what is your job title? Who is your daddy, and what does he do? Um, no, <laughs> I was trying to think of something clever, and I was like, 
He's retired. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm an acute care nurse practitioner, which I have been for nine and some change years. I've been a registered nurse since 2007. I don't know how many years that is. It's plenty. Um, an acute care nurse practitioner, a lot of people might not be familiar with because I know a lot of people are familiar with like a family nurse practitioner who you see in a in outpatient setting. But a, acute care is based in critical care for adults 18 and up, non-pregnant, which is important. And And so in this context, what does critical care mean? I work in the ICU. So so that means people who are the sickest actively trying to die. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah. The so sickest the sickest people in the hospital will be under my care along with a team of other healthcare providers like nurses and respiratory therapists and of course physicians um, and a whole other laundry list that I don't need to go through. And and just you know so you went you you went to school for you went to school for biology. My fir- yeah, my first degree was uh, a biology degree from Texas A and M University. Whoop. Sorry, that's just just slipped out. Slipped <laughs> out. You can't say it. Can't do it. <laughs> can't say. Um, yeah. When I got that degree, I didn't really know what to do with it. I knew that med school was no longer on the table for me. Um, but I, why was that? I was really bad at organic chemistry. <laughs> Fucking organic chemistry. It's really bad oh, at it. Never taken it, but I've heard I was, tales. I was fairly confident that it, my MCAT scores would be garbage and that I was going to go to like med school in like Mexico or something. Nothing against that, but I didn't feel confident in moving forward with that plan. But I did volunteer <clears throat> at a hospital in Bryan, Texas. And realized that I really liked what the nurses were doing, which was taking care of the patients. You know, they were the ones there all the time. Mm. Um, so right before I graduated from A&M, I decided I wanted to go to nursing school. This was long enough ago that A&M did not have a nursing school yet. So I went ahead and finished wow. my degree and then went to nursing school at UTMB down in Galveston. Graduated and went to work. And so, and then... You worked for a while. Couple years. And you and you like you went all over the country. I had a job in Minnesota with the Mayo Clinic for a year and a half. And then I came back to Texas to be close to family. Worked in Bryan, Texas, actually. And I hated that job. Sorry. Just St. a weird Joe's. hospital, I, weird vibe or it was it I'm was management. Vibe I know. Just to piss you off, Robert. It wasn't a I'm vibe. It. it wasn't really a it wasn't a vibe. It was just straight up poor management, which I think I can say twelve years later. Um I hope. Probably just said eleven years ago too. Sorry <laughs> to whoever was there. <laughs> um, but it was crappy, shitty management. And I realized that I didn't want to do that kind of job for the rest of my life. So that crappy job led me to applying to grad school. I had no idea what nurse practitioners did. I'd met like two ever. I didn't really understand the role. I knew that it was more than what I was doing and I knew it was more school. And at the time that interested me. So I went back to school. I did a travel gig out in Arizona and I came back to Texas to finish my degree. What's that mean a travel gig? Oh, I just took a temporary, like, seasonal position in Flagstaff. 
Mm. So they, it's, like, it's like a few months or six months. Six months. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. They needed people for the winter. What happens in Flagstaff in the winter? It snows a lot. Huh. There were six feet on the snow. Six feet on the snow. Six feet of snow on the ground when I moved there. <laughs> I guess this is far it's much enough. much snowier than you'd expect of Arizona. This yeah. is far enough north in Arizona uh -huh. to be like close enough. Probably yeah. the Rockies are sure dipping down in there. Maybe okay. Yes, yes. It's very. It's an hour away from the Grand Canyon. It's about at seven thousand feet. There's a ski resort there called Snowbowl. It's a beautiful place. Wild. Yeah, check it out. So, Flagstaff Medical Center, not a crappy job, not with shitty management. I loved it there, and I came back to Texas to uh, do my clinical year for my graduate degree. And I chose Sugarland because it was close enough to Galveston that I could go about once a week without having to live on the island. And it was close enough to Houston to do my clinicals in Houston. I never planned to stay at Houston Methodist Sugarland. Can I say where I work? I too late. I, oh, yeah, too late. <laughs> I mean, we could go beep, <laughs> but I don't so know. That's that. a big could. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, we can do a lot of things. Technology like, has come a long way. Ring a bell, like ding, 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 ding. Editing that mm. out. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's really about the work that I'm willing to do. Uh, so uh, I, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't imagine that you're, you're, you plan on saying anything bad about your hospital no i don't and i don't intend for this to reach the media either like kprc i don't know we're the alternative media <laughs> this is the media <laughs> taking over uh, it'll show up in text in the houston press yeah um anyway i work for a large hospital system in in houston and um i went to work there because of the reasons I just said. And then I met my future, now current director. You don't have to say your boss's name. I won't. Cool. I'm not going to use any names. That's smart. I'm going to do my best to keep it to these they's and them's and all Word. of that. I met my future, now current director. I liked them very much. I liked all the nurse practitioners I met. And I decided to apply for my first nurse practitioner job there in 2012. And I guess as they say, the rest is history. I still work there. So almost mm -hmm. ten, almost ten years now as a nurse practitioner. Right. So, and and so that's wild. How? What is the difference for the average bear that's listening? What is the difference between you know a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant, maybe a resident, a doctor? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't I don't know enough about the physician hierarchy to talk about it, because the last time I worked at a teaching hospital was in 2008. Well, um, you, well maybe just tell the difference. What these sure. are, because these are words that we all sort of hear. That's true. And, I don't know what the difference is. So and so exactly. Um, nurses either have an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree, and they all take the same certifying exam called the NCLEX to become a registered nurse. And they work at the bedside. They're the person that you see that is helping take your vital signs, administer medications, do minor procedures. They're the backbone of the entire hospital. And they're absolute amazing people. Almost every single one of them that I've met, they do so much physical work. They get patients up out of bed. They move them in bed. They turn them. They 
reposition them. They, I, the list, I could sit here for four hours and talk about what nurses do. Um, and they do an amazing amount of critical thinking, foresight. They look at their patient's plan of care and they advocate for the patient. They realize what's missing, what's not there, what shouldn't be there. And they work with the rest of the healthcare team to get that care to the patient. Mm. Or, um, and I guess in a lot of ways, they're sort of the last, they're, they're, they're the main patient interface. Yes. And Where the, the buck stops with the nurses. I so see. if the doctor writes the wrong order and the pharmacy lets it go through and the nurse pulls it out of the machine and administers it, the nurse is going to be the first one on the chopping block, regardless of the errors that happened upstream. Right. And then I guess the converse or or whatever of that is that they're also the last, the last person that can catch an error. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, the, we call it stop the line. Like we, you know, see something and you say, Hey, I don't think this is right. Mm -hmm. Last line of defense. Right. Yeah. I think I don't, I don't, I don't think that maybe the general, cause I don't know if it's mine either. I don't know if the general perception 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 is really of all these things, really all these uh, medical uh, professionals working really as a team. Yes. Because it often feels like all these things are very separate because you don't see them all. We know if you right. or your relative is in the hospital, you don't see all these people at the same time. Right. They're coming in one at a time, but I can tell you they're all talking to each other. We even have not even just the ICU, but every floor of a hospital has something called like care coordination rounds where the entire team, including pharmacy, case management, nurses, nurse managers, physical therapy, occupational therapy, they're all there together and they're talking about what the patients need. Yeah. So to keep going, nurse practitioners are what people will call mid-level providers. It's kind of a dirty word in the medical world, but we live with it because it exists is exactly what we are. We are kind of in between the nurses and the physicians. Um, nurse practitioners have graduate level education and to practice, they have to have sat for and passed a separate board exam, depending on their area of practice. There's So is it safe to say you are board certified? I am in fact board certified. <laughs> this is a this is a thing that uh, loves, that, that a, a credential that's often thrown about. It is. With uh, like sort of... Uh, conspiritual conspiritualist doctors and right. people who are who who don't who don't who don't work in people who have a degree mm -hmm. have a medical degree they're an md of some type but their well, their main gig is selling supplements well here's the thing sure. about being board certified if you sit for a board exam and you pass you are board certified forever as long as you continue to fulfill your continuing education requirements. And for some licenses and certifications, that's more, sometimes that's less. For example, for mine, it's every five years. So my second one is coming up in 2022. And I have to have 75 continuing education hours, like proof of I turn in the documents including at least 25 that are pharmaceutical um you have Is to that cumulative or cumulative okay. correct yeah so if you're working and you're doing all the stuff you have to do for your job it's kind of a it's easy no problem, yeah. it's do easy. you have to be working to no okay that's what I thought I was hearing I just wanted to make no, sure no you do not 
You cannot be working. There is a lot of other ways to fulfill. The, one of the check marks is at least a certain number of hours practicing under your license, which for all of us working in the medical field under that board certification is a cinch because you get it in like six months mm-hmm. of working. You don't need five years to obtain. It's like a ludicrously low number of hours. I see. Mm-hmm. For somebody not working, they'd have to do something like sponsor a certain number of students or mm-hmm. have their name on an article or there's a lot of different ways you can maintain your certification most of it comes down to money are you paying that $500 every so many years to keep your board certification mm-hmm. as long as you don't let it lapse you can claim that board certification for your entire life so it's worthless it's not <laughs> it's not worthless but to me it matters to me it doesn't mean as much as someone who is if a person who is selling supplements at like a CBD shaman shop says they're board certified, you might want to ask when they took their exam. Well, it's like the board with fluorescent paint that glows in the dark. That's the board that they're certified with. <laughs> right. Well, so like as a layman, like that hearing described that way means far less to me, you know, than a doctor. But had I not had that described to me that way, I would have said, oh, board certified. It's probably something. Sure. It, it sounds good. It, right. it, it sounds. Oh, shit. Wow. Yeah. What it's, it, it sounds like someone, someone came in while you were doctoring and some board of people, like a whole group of people came in while you were doctoring and was like, yes. It, for physicians, you. for physicians, I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn here either in case a practicing physician ever gets his ears on this, but for physicians, it's a, I think it's a very different can of worms. I think it's a lot more difficult, and I think they actually might have to sit for an exam every few years. Mm. I don't. I, I gotcha. get to just gotcha. do my little education stuff and keep practicing and getting. I have to have like a certain number of procedures under my belt and do stuff like that. Some so, doctors do have to sit for exams, but right. it might be very specific fields because every field, like for example, our group of intensivists, I think there's eight of them. Some of them are board certified in anesthesia. Some of them are board certified in emergency medicine. Some of them are board certified in pulmonology pulmonology and critical care, which means they all have very different levels of expertise, but they're all doctors. Mm -hmm. So speaking of procedures, so that is something that is... That's that's something that nurse practitioners can do that's different from what registered nurses can do. That's a really good example of... And, And so... This is a word that has become because of, you know, being married to you and living with you. I this this word procedure has a very specific meaning to me. What the what the hell is a procedure and what makes it what does that mean to a layman? What is that, you know? Gosh. I mean, it could be a whole lot of things in a hospital. For me personally, that's what you would like to know. I mean, Right? That's what you're... Well, I don't... I mean, it's not a personal thing, right? Well, like, like, there are things no, that like, are procedures and there are things that are... For, like, in like, your opinion. Like, for, turning a patient is not a procedure. Okay, so but, when, when I talk putting about... putting in a line right, so is there's a procedure. Every two years, in addition to my board certification, every two years I must go through a re-credentialing process with my hospital, which means I have to prove that I have done enough of XYZ in order to keep doing XYZ there... Because if something goes sideways with XYZ, they are in charge of me. 
that's they are yeah, they're responsible. My person, yes. Yeah. And so for me, those things include, but are not limited to, um, intubation, which is so putting, putting a breathing tube yeah. in your throat and so connecting putting, you to a ventilator. Hooking someone to a machine that breathes breathes for them. The hooking is not as important as the actual insertion of the tube, but yes, that's essentially. Um, attaching someone to that a part, machine. That, that part's easy. Attaching someone to the machine. That part's easy. It's the getting the tube in the hole I, that it needs to okay. be in. I was, I, yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> Putting all pieces together. Yeah, so, okay, I get it. Like, and attaching the tube to the machine, not such a big deal. Piece pretty, of cake. Pretty easy. I'm not even board certified. Shout out to I my... Probably... Shout out to my respiratory... Yes, you probably could. I don't know. I don't know. When you're in a panic <laughs> situation, when things are weird, and there's point. adrenaline, you're like, I don't yeah. know which way is up. Now like, that you say yeah. that, I have never seen said tube. So I do not know. It's like the trying to start your car in a horror movie, you know, that kind of stuff. Or just me trying to start my husband's car because I don't <laughs> know. Under, I, there's a key. I don't. I'm used to the button. So what you're saying is every day is a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Only when I drive the Hyundai. <laughs> <laughs> Only when you're married to me. <laughs> um, oh, But so intubation is one of the procedures that nurse practitioners do regularly. Um, central line insertion, which is a really large IV that can either go in your neck or your groin um, to administer lots of medications all at the same time. So mm-hmm. these are all essentially minor surgeries. Yeah, you could say that. If I'm if I'm using sure. the language yeah, very, I very... Use, yeah, I mean, we have to get consent for the procedure with either the patient or their assigned healthcare agent if they're unable to consent. Um, we use lidocaine for the procedure when I'm in the... ICU, I typically use some level of sedation, not conscious sedation, because I can't do that as a nurse practitioner without a doctor present. So anesthesiologist, right. Or just any physician. If I have a doctor come stand in the doorway, I can get whatever meds I want. If somebody's on a ventilator, we're pretty cleared, but, but, but you can also technically like you have prescriptive authority or whatever. Correct. Is that, that's yeah, we probably should have started with that before we talked about procedures. No, it is all a mess. Is it called that? (laughs) It is called prescriptive authority. That's exactly what it's called. Yeah. So that's another thing that a nurse practitioner has to maintain. There's a lot of spinning plates when you practice as a healthcare provider, you have to maintain this thing. I have to have a DEA license. I have to have my ACLS, which is advanced cardiac life support. I have to have my BLS, which is basic life support. I have to have my nursing license. I have to have my NP certification, my credentialing with the hospital. I think that's it. See, in my, in my line of work, we are very encouraged to do continuing education constantly. There are constantly new technologies coming out that we need to learn about. Sure. That we can go a million different ways into. Encouraged. There's no licensing. There's no right. requirements. There's no requirements yeah. or anything like that. Like you should probably do that. And there's so many things that I could do, whereas right. borderline and required. It's it is not, absolutely required for some yeah. level of continuing education. And then for our we have what's called a annual focal point review, which is basically our like annual review with our manager or director. And included in that little tight package with the hospital system I work for is multiple education modules from mm-hmm. everything from fire safety inside the building to um, bariatric surgery aftercare to, oh my God, I don't even know, all of it. 
so much, so much. It's, it's hours it's and of- hours. I have to do certain hour number of hours of stroke certification. I have to have a certain number of hours of like post breast care surgery because we take care of those patients and like maybe twice a year, but I have to keep doing uh, it to like prove right. I have to know how to open someone's chest at the bedside with the cardiac surgeon just in case. So let's talk about what you just said for a second, because I'm pretty sure you just said open somebody's <laughs> chest. Mm-hmm. Like we it was ha- a fucking door. It's or kind of a door. Chest. I mean, it's more of a armoire. It's, it's kind of a door, she said. It's more of an armoire. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's like I feel like that yeah. might be one of the most like low key intimidating <laughs> things I've ever heard anyone say. Like, <laughs> we we have a cart that's labeled like open chest cart. That just has the stuff in it that we need in case we have to do that. I've done it three times, which is not very many in nine years, but it's enough. Fucking more than I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> or we seen have it to done. we have to know how to help with the insertion of intraaortic balloon pumps. We have to know how to put in a, a pulmonary artery catheter. We have to know how to take all the stuff out. That's another thing nurse practitioners do. We take everything out of you. Could you fucking imagine? Like, all right, I'm gonna open this. I'm gonna open this chest. And I'm not going to fuck it up. To be fair, when we open those chests, they've already been recently opened. So it's really just like staple removing and maintaining like a level of sterility. It's very scary. Oh, really, oh well, I mean, I could do that. Yeah, really. It's just they like left the door jammer in there and you just. Kinda... Right. And then you put we we have a rib spreader and you you push it in and you crank it like this and it goes. Oh, it's an elevator. I mean, it's sort of more like a. I don't know. You do this and two bars go like this and just move everything this way. And then you can see it. (laughs) Yeah. It's there. Yeah, it's like a reverse vice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like a... (laughs) There's another thing that does something like this. I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. I... I, There's... (laughs) Case. Where's Case? (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's here in spirit. We're borrowing the microphone. Uh... So, so yeah, like that, those, there's, there's a, there's a whole lot of things that mid-level providers have in their back pocket that they need to be confident performing at the drop of a hat in any kind Mm, of emergency situation. To the point where like staying up on that is just the job, right? Right. Exactly. Like nobody that is a practicing nurse practitioner is avoiding doing all their continuing education and everything. Right. Um, when you work in a hospital, you have to stay on top of that because if you end up in a situation where you aren't competent or comfortable, it's painfully obvious and you're going to have to answer for that. That's interesting because it it sounds like, you know, like 90% of your job is doing probably the same, more or less the same things, you know, or similar things. Mm-hmm. But then every once in a while, you got to do some, you got to be ready to do some crazy shit. Yes. Like opening somebody's fucking chest. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't happen a lot. But we have to know how. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to toot your horn here. I know. (laughs) Okay. One of the craziest things that's happened to me was a patient fell and like, he had a, shoot, they had a stroke and they fell and they landed face first on the carpet and their whole like forehead cracked open and the nurses managed to get him back in the bed. I'm very bad at this. Managed to get them back in the bed and I get up there and they're like, what should we do? And I'm like, 
he wasn't breathing. It was a whole mess. We had to intubate oh. him. Um, and I stapled his head shut just for good measure because it just felt like the right thing to do. It's surprisingly a lot like a, just a regular staple gun. You just... But weird stuff happens. That was in the middle of the night. That was a lot of years ago. But yeah. Jesus oh, back Christ. during the night shifts, yes. whenever you were sort of had to handle everything by just yourself. Just anything, yeah. When yeah. I was the only one there. Right. And so oh. an another one of the responsibilities, I don't know if this is the same for all NPs, but no. it's at your, your hospital. Is, yes. Is the, when, when anyone in the hospital tries to die. Yes. Y'all go. Y'all go. Yes. Or even acts like they might think about trying to die later. Mm. which is like called a rapid response. We go to anytime a nurse is worried about a patient who's rapidly declining, they call a RRT or a rapid response team overhead. And then we go and assess the patient and try and figure out what's going on. Right. So it's a lot of these things have sort of become normalized for me, even just, you know, when we met like seven years ago, I think is when we started dating. And so I, at first, I'm trying to think about it. At first, it was fucking nuts because it was like, oh, my God. Someone almost died today at your job? And it was really hard for me to handle her telling you, you know, you I'm talking to her like you're not here. It was really difficult to handle the things you would tell me. Um, But that really is what your day is, is, yes. is every day is is even pre-covid every day oh sure is was dealing with with death with death and the generally the worst days of somebody's life yeah right. yeah the patient the family right and pre-covid we had the family at the bedside so they were our patients too you know we walked them through everything we were doing they could physically see their loved one they could touch them they could understand what was going on in the room we didn't make them leave we didn't and then you know 2020 kind of changed everything right right and at that point you're like some level you're a therapist in a yes way. nurses are absolutely therapists for, for like the family as well yeah right and as as a nurse practitioner something we like to say is that we're nurses first so i consider myself an extra leg on the nurse's Stool. Stool, basically. <laughs> yes, that's a good word for it. Yes. On the, on the nurse's dog. <laughs> I I work closely with physicians, but something I always say out loud is that I need my nurses to be happy and I need them to be taken care of too. Because if the nurses are not on your side, you're fucked. Whether you're a provider or a patient, right. nurses are the backbone of everything. And that's what I did before I became a nurse practitioner. So right. as an NP, it's just it's just a natural progression of things. Like I now get to be kind of a liaison between the nursing part of it, the bedside part, and the provider part. Mm -hmm. I can prescribe medications, I can diagnose illnesses, I can practice independently if I wanted to, like in a clinic or something. Like could like could you go open up a clinic? Sure. Could, no shit. Yeah, I just need a. <laughs> what the fuck are we doing? Well, the studio. That's hard got to do. Huh? That's hard to do. I mean, wow. I need a, you need a um, supervising physician to do whatever they have to do a certain number of times. It takes money. I mean, you don't just like 
do that. Also, I'm an acute care nurse practitioner, so I mean, I don't really want to run an urgent care. That doesn't sound I see. very fun. Your, your your specialty is in my specialty is critical care. Is in the shit hitting the fan, which yeah. is I did that on purpose. I like that. You I need, like the sickest patients. You need to be a bit more obtuse to. It's not a lot of people really like to be family nurse practitioners Fuck or you. adult nurse practitioners because Fuck of the you. hours. <laughs> what? Fuck you, Robert. Oh God, I just goddamn. got it. Make a fucking geometry joke over here. <laughs> I was gonna do it like thirty minutes ago and then it didn't anyway, work. I know. Richard's bad. made the joke before. He's just mad he didn't oh, say it first. I am. <laughs> I am. You know, like I I've made the like an acute as opposed to, it's like, well, I think you're a pretty, like, uh, you know. Like, uh, That's why a lot of the time when I'm talking to other lay people or in a social media setting, I will say um, critical care nurse practitioner because mm. that makes more sense to people. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. People understand that generally. Right. Yeah. And and so, so what is, I guess, what is the, what what can you not do? Hmm. that because like like yeah what can you not do without a physician i guess i cannot give conscious sedation without a physician present which is a combination of anesthetics and sedation so like i can give fentanyl or i can give versed but i can't give both at the same time unless a doctor's there mm-hmm. i'm not supposed to intubate without a physician at the bedside in case i have trouble because when we intubate somebody, put them on the ventilator, we give a paralytic, which mm. means you cannot do anything, which means we have a pretty short time frame in which to get the task done. Right. So we are required to have a backup there, which is a really nice safety net that I like to have. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can I not do? I can't do, like, I'm not a surgeon. Like, I can't do... Sure. So, like, to be clear, when I talk about opening a person's chest, I'm not, like, doing heart surgery. I'm just kind of clearing the way for the heart surgeon to come in and solve the emergency. Right. It's more like a stable hand. Just, like, you move over here. You move over here. Ribs here. Blood clots there. Get out of the way. Right. Get the guy to his work. Right. And And it seems like, too, in a lot of just sort of the things that I've heard as I'm trying to wrap my head around them, is that a lot of times you are uh, a doctor, you know, hands his patient off to you and you're sort of responsible yes. for being the doctor right. while he's not there because yeah. he works at different hospitals. He, she, they, whatever, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Uh, but they work. Well, at... even in our, in our role inside my hospital, we have what's called intensivists, which are doctors that only work in the ICU mm-hmm. and only take care of patients in the ICU. They don't go anywhere else in the hospital. And we have a physician presence there 24 seven, which is wonderful. It's not something we always had. And I, think that we are very lucky to have that now but we share the patient load in the ICU so I'm typically assigned somewhere between we'll say five and eight patients and they take the rest which is somewhere between 10 and 12 I see um and those are my patients for the day and I'm also the first phone call which means if the nurse for any of our 20 patients has a concern they call me first so I'm first call. If I don't know the answer or need more help, then I go to my doc. Right. So mm. it's it's almost, I mean, really, it's the difference between what 
what you do and what a doctor does is almost really kind of splitting hairs sure. as far as a layman is concerned. A, a lot of a lot of the stuff we can and cannot do is procedural, it's red tape and it's you know, there's certain things that I could go back to school to do to learn. Like I could be a first assistant in an OR and help a surgeon uh -huh. with things like that. Um, I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in that. Um, and there's a lot of specialized roles, I guess you could say. But I like what I do, which is I get to take care of all kinds of patients and all kinds of illnesses. And I get to do a lot of hands-on procedures and keep those skills up to date. Um, another thing I cannot do, I cannot stop CPR in a patient who is not a DNR without a physician present. It's a weird one. Yeah, I must continue the code until I have a doctor there. Right. A, a code means? CPR in progress. Chest compressions, drugs, electric shocks, the whole torture. Active resuscitation. Active resuscitation, yeah. yeah. And so if I don't have a doctor present, I can't say we have done this for long enough. So when I used to work by myself at night, and didn't have the intensivist that I talked about before. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would end up coding patients for an hour waiting for like the ER doctor to come up and just Christ. be like, hey, you can stop. Like CPR for an hour? Yeah, just rotating oh between all God. the nurses on the floor. Just destroying those ribs. Oh, I mean, it's really, uh, yeah. I mean, after 20 minutes, CPR is futile. futile yeah. Pretty futile. Um, but it's just so much physical work for right. the staff and everybody trying to do everything. We do have, but I don't want to digress into that too much, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, CPR is really hard work and it's really, um, it's really painful. Yeah. That's a thing that I don't think a lot of people realize is that, uh, CPR doesn't. It's very violent. Yeah. It doesn't look how it does in the, in the movie whenever mm -hmm. someone, someone swallows some water in the pool and they pull them out and you give them a little, uh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, and they go in for a secret kiss. Yeah. yeah. No, actually, it's like you're destroying their rib Yeah, cage. it's very traumatic. It's very traumatic. Yeah. Most of the time, there's broken ribs and stuff like that. And, you know, in patients that don't have COVID, CPR is often successful. So we take a lot of classes about quality CPR, what's the best course of action, and that changes pretty rapidly. Like you were talking about software, like recommendations have changed two or three times since mm -hmm. I've been a nurse on what's the most important part of resuscitation. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, mm -hmm. The most up-to-date is that compressions are the most important, that blood circulation is what you need. Like, don't worry about rescue breaths if you're a single rescuer. You just keep doing CPR until you can get more rescuers there. Because wow. if you're not circulating the blood you have, doesn't matter if you get breaths. Yeah, because the chest compressions are, are you're beating the heart. Right, exactly. And when you blow out, it's a lot of CO2. There's some oxygen in there, but a rescue breath from you to that person, that's not going to do too much. Yeah. You're better off just doing CPR. That's really wild because I don't. I assume, I certainly didn't think so. I assume most people probably don't think that that is the sort of thing that is in flux like that. Yeah. That just changes. Right. right. Yeah, like even uh, CPR. Three times in 10 years, much less... In my entire lifetime, right. CPR has been CPR. It's just a thing that you do. But right. yeah, there's yeah. a lot of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's... Yeah, it, it really does... <laughs> it really does make you stop and think and, and really sort of understand that most of what you as a layperson know about medicine comes from what you've seen on TV. Yeah. Absolutely. And so something else to that point, uh, you're describing like what a nurse does versus what you do versus what a doctor does, things like that. And the differences therein, like 
I think for a long time, I just ignorantly thought, and probably a lot of people still do think, that a nurse is like, it's just an assistant. Mm, they just, right. They're a gopher. Right. I think it's like the popular perception. Well, and that's, truthfully, it's probably how nursing started. I mean, sure. I don't want to like pretend like I know everything about Florence Nightingale and how all this like got <laughs> going, but a lot of the really big jumps in nursing happened with world wars when uh, they didn't really have sense. a choice but to use women that could help with this kind of stuff right, and then yeah. their roles just grew and grew and grew and even when i was a new nurse the responsibilities i had then versus what my nurses that i work with now have are even different and there's always more being asked of nurses but there's never less they never mm. take anything away mm. right mm. well from my understanding the uh the doctors in those times weren't 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 necessarily that great either so the nurses couldn't have well, you couldn't have needed that. You couldn't have needed that mean, that much of a qualification to, you know, oh, we're going to saw this bone off, have some whiskey. The main you. qualification was like, do you have a strong stomach? Like, <laughs> and, a, like, and a saw. Not even like, a sharp saw or a clean saw. Like, can you tolerate Just this? Just do you own a saw? Um, well, if you ever saw MASH, you need to be able to tell a joke pretty well, too. <laughs> Brew your own gin. <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't know how to. How else to? I didn't know what else to say. So, uh, Alice needs to take a break. We need to take a quick break. Cool. So, uh, you and I can just can just no. We can just we can just riff while you're gone. Oh, I guess I could have just deuced out. Anyway, I'm gonna deuce out. (laughs) Yeah, Alice will be right back. So we're we're gonna talk about uh, how we're idiots and only know what we know about medicine from television. Well, I thought that I had already been talking about that. Well, we're going to continue that. Sweet. Because um, that's all that I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about what we know about, which is fucking make-believe mm-hmm. entertainment. Uh, the first doctor in America was George Clooney. <laughs> ER. And as far as I know, uh, nurses just exist to be temp- to be temptations for the doctors. Uh. Or no, that no, 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 no. That's I'm mixing that up with Grey's Anatomy. I think okay, and which this this is this this is what Allison has told me about Grey's Anatomy. I don't actually. I haven't know. seen Grey's Anatomy. I, I, I've caught a few like in passing. Uh, I knew later on uh, nurses did evolve to becoming uh, assassins. You oh. saw Kill Bill. Uh, <laughs> uh, so there was a very clear, you know. Now is that a, is that a direct line or or you know it's like well so you got seductress, you got assassin, uh, temptress. Yeah. Well, I guess temptress, seductress. Oh, and that's a better word for it. And then also, um, I think in ER, nurses just a lot of times got blamed when things went wrong or something. <gasps> oh, okay. So they were punching bags, is what you're talking. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> all of these. Uh, <laughs> or then I think there was a show called like Nurse Judy or something like that. But she was judge like, Judy. She was a judge. There's two shows. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, to be a professional woman, your name has to be Judy. <laughs> To get any sort of title, you have to yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, but I think that she had like an opiate problem or something too. Like she had an addiction issue. I don't know. Oh, maybe it's Nurse Jackie. Maybe that's what the show's called. Jackie Brown, I think, was another. Another, yeah, back, to, yeah, uh huh, back to yeah, Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, isn't that what House had as well? Was he had a, he had a drug problem of some sort? He did. He did. I never saw that show. Either. I didn't either. 
It, it, I mean, if you saw one episode, you'd see them all. It was all about so. the same. It was always lupus, I think. <laughs> and that dude uh, was British. And I didn't know that for the right? longest time until I saw Hugh, uh, what is it, Fry and Laurie. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but I, you know, in all serious though, I think that there really is, that really is a big deal that, that, that I don't think we should be, that we can articulate as well as we should be able to, is that we have a concept Mm-hmm. of how these professions work. Yes. And and our concept of that because you're not going you even if you've spent time in the hospital as a patient, you're not going to have a that's you're not going to have a concept of how all these things are working together. No, not even close. And like I can from what I was talking about earlier, like people not really realizing what it all it is that the nurses do. Right. Uh, I have been in the hospital. I have and when I was it's been a long time now. And I've had family in the hospital and family describing hospital visits and doctor visits and saying things to the effect that they couldn't believe that a nurse was doing this and not a doctor. Like, mm. where's the doctor? Get the get the real doctor in here to mm. tell me my things that, yeah. you know, why is a nurse telling me this stuff? Right. And right. So, yeah, I think that that uh, uh, perception is. Yeah. And, well, and I mean, in. Outside of nursing, there's a there's sort of a precedent for the way that sort of cops are perceived and the way the military is perceived in sort of television shows. So I think I think it was Dragnet, for instance. They said, you know, they were like, all right, I think I think that was the one that was like filmed in L.A. or whatever. And and they were like, all right, well, so. you can use our resources, but the they gave the the the, the L.A. Police Department gave the showrunners all these stipulations about what the stories could be or could not be. And the cops must always be painted in a certain way. Sure. And so, and that's similar with a lot of military movies as well, you know, where the military gets on board and whatnot. And I, and I'm, you know, I'm just sort of trying to drive this point home that we don't re you know, a lot of these things that we have such strong opinions about, be they medicine, be they policing, be they, um, you know, military, we don't really know how these things work on the day to day. If you were to remove our knowledge that we that we learned through entertainment, there would just be a giant vacuous hole there. Oh, yeah. Like I, the good rule of thumb is if you've never done it, you probably don't know much about it. Yeah, I feel like is for sure how I think about a lot of things like that. As I stepped out, you made a joke about George Clooney, which I can only assume you were talking about the show E.R. No, we're talking um, about Batman. Um, and Robin? Batman and Robin, yeah. ER was actually one of the closest to real life was medical really? shows. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Michael Crichton was in medical school. That's right. That was and, Michael Crichton. Wow, yeah, yeah, you're right. And he dropped out or... Oh, I feel like I'm going to sully his memory. I don't know if he finished and he's, decided he's not, not to pursue... He's not going to come after you. I think <laughs> there might be some I, nanobots that he sends. God, I know. Some time-traveling Andromeda strain bullshit up in this bitch. Yeah. Um, big sphere comes in. <laughs> he he was in he was at least he at least did a large chunk of medical school so yeah. his knowledge about that was a lot more intimate and a lot more realistic and okay. i really really like that show so cool. um, so i, I have a lot of very good memories watching that show with my mom as a middle school and high schooler so cool. I, I remember watching it with my mom as well yeah um so but 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 help help me because I, I was paraphrasing you a little bit. So as nurses are portrayed in shows, so how are nurses portrayed in ER? 
Is that accurate? Yes, I th- I okay. think it is. They do okay. they do a lot in that show. Okay. ER nurses do a lot in that show. Okay. Now in Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> they are they basically function as being they're um, sex props. Right. Yeah. They're 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 there to tempt the doctors. Yes. Um. Or they're there to fuck things up. Yeah. Or just fuck things. <laughs> Could have just gone with that. <laughs> yeah. Two birds, one stone. Um, they're very, they're 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 almost not represented at all in the show in the form that it is taken at this point. In the right. early parts of the show, they represented them as like I think the first nurse you actually had a name attached to had an STD that she gave to a doctor. That's right. Like that was like the main storyline for her. Yeah. And mm. I do like Grey's Anatomy, but <laughs> not for its grasp on reality of a medical field. It shows physicians doing essentially the work. It shows them doing all the physical work in the hospital that takes place while the doctors are busy trying to figure out what's actually wrong with you. Like they're not drawing your blood and they're not giving you medicine and they're not getting you out of bed and they're not adjusting. Well, they might be adjusting the ventilator, but they're not doing a lot of this like physical stuff that's happening all around them. Because they're like doing the doctor shit. They're right. trying it, to figure it, it out. Right. And it's not because they're off fucking off. No, it's exactly. Like, yeah, it's like, just because the, the rest of the team is important too. Right. And yeah. They're, delegation they're, and assignments matter. Right. And, and, you know, and ultimately just the way the system is set up is that doctors do bear the most responsibility. And sure. so they have the most risk in the decisions that they make right. and all that sort of stuff. So they have to they have to take time to figure out, well, what the right. hell are we actually going to do? Because at the end of the day, I may have eight patients assigned to me and I write their progress note for the day. But my physician for that day co-signs the note. Mm-hmm. So his name is on there, too. Right. So that's, I guess you could call it an advantage of a mid-level provider. You're never... We talked about the nurse being the last stop before the patient. Right. The physician is always going to be the last step on the stairway because they're going to be where everything Mm -hmm. came from. Right. So in theory, I'm not going to be doing anything that I don't have permission or clearance or the blessings of my physician to do. Um, Nursing itself and mid-level providing has a lot of autonomy um we get to make our own decisions and we get to carry them out to an extent but something that has become so incredibly clear in the last 18 months is that we could not take care of patients if it wasn't for every single person in the hospital down to the people serving food in the cafeteria that didn't want to come to work down to every housekeeper that goes in every single COVID contaminated room to clean. Um, Like, like there's just so many levels of involvement and to make that machine keep running smoothly is not easy. It's put into stark relief these days. Yeah, for sure. So um, earlier you talked about how, you know, you're having to sort of, be prepared to to manage and, and diagnose all these different diseases and all these all these types of things and oh I need to know how to you know do this or staple a head shut or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the past eighteen months or so you've been dealing mostly with one 
Yeah, just one kind one of problem. Disease. One problem. One virus. Um, I mean, uh, people are still getting sick from other things. Like, the reality is, is people still have heart attacks and strokes well, and complications from diabetes. A big and, problem as of late. Right, and things like that. Um, but, obviously, as a provider in an ICU, we have been in the thick of COVID. And the the things that we have been through and the stuff we've been through together, it, it's really hard to even like describe to people that haven't seen it. The first few weeks, I remember our son's second birthday party and I was already getting worried because it was when our hospital started saying, oh, don't eat in the cafeteria and don't, you know, don't be right. around big girls. Like, we didn't really know. Like, we know so much now yeah, compared right. to what we knew. We didn't know. And yeah. the biggest difference, I was talking about this with um, somebody. Zach Robison yesterday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the biggest difference, because now in this fourth or fifth or whatever you want to call it, this Delta wave that we're all experiencing right now there's a lot of anger there's a lot of resentment there is so much fatigue we are just com our compassion is disappearing what did i say yesterday we're morally injured by this yeah, pandemic right, right. We, or, or specifically by this by this wave that yeah. is was preventable the beginning the only thing I remember is capital F fear. Mm. I didn't know how I could get it. No one, I mean, I didn't right. know if I would get it. I didn't know if the masks we had were good enough. I didn't know if I would have a mask the next day. Right. Because everything was in short supply. Right. Yeah. I had friends from across the country sending me like their painter's masks That's just in right. case. Right. That's right. Yeah. Oh we didn't God. have, we had, we had like jerry rigged stuff at the hospital where we were using tape on like plastic to try to like make things work. We didn't have enough negative pressure rooms, which a negative pressure room is essentially when you close the door, all the air in the room is sucked out and mm. tossed outside. And that keeps that air from flowing back into the hospital and into the ventilation system. So if you have something like uh, meningitis or tuberculosis or else do we put people in there? Because if you had like maybe shingles. Something airborne. Though. Something so airborne. Yes. Something airborne. We put you in a negative pressure room. Um, things like flu, RSV, other various like rhinovirus and other respiratory viruses those are just droplet droplet precautions which means you need a mask right, surgical but the, mask but it wasn't clear there was no the clarity whatsoever right. we and, had and different opinions from all kinds of different right. and, people. and we're talking about march 2020 that's yeah. whenever it was around may you know june 2020 it became clear there was a lot right of, things it got was like, clearer oh, it's, it's droplet based and sure how it spreads and things like that but there was there was a few minutes where it was like they they called it airborne and we treated it as airborne and then it was like oh maybe it's droplet and we were like wait is it though and there was a lot of mistrust in like just like say our hospital world compared to like 
yeah, the like, overarching opinion of is this that that went on for the next year. Right. Yeah, there was yeah, a tug like, of war back and forth because the reality was is that we just didn't know. And now I can tell you that somebody who has the onset of symptoms today in 10 days, their viral load will be low enough to where we don't consider them infectious. If they have severe illness, we wait 20 days. Like things have gotten dialed in, this fine tune, and right then it was just noise. There's so much data now to look back on. Right. right totally. Well, and at the time too, you know, I mean, aside from what people on the outside, you know, commentators and, and whatnot were trying to make sense of it and whatever, whatever they're provocateurs and whatnot, um, there was almost, there was almost a feeling of, I remember a few moment, uh, moments that, that you had when it was at the, at the beginning of concerning protocols of like, are they telling us that it's this because they don't have enough masks? Right. And, and we, not re to... we recycled masks until this year. Y'all were like wow. cooking them. Yes. I would send my mask down in a little packet in a plastic bag and it would come back to me. And it would have a, 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 a dash mark on the outside for cycle one. The next day, I would send it back in a new plastic bag, and it would come back to me in a sterilized packet with a second hash mark, dash two. Cycle two, we'd use them for 10 days. And, and they were, they were whatever, putting them in the oven. Yes, they were right? essentially baking them. Um, that was around the time they told us to stop wearing makeup because they couldn't clean them right. Um, mm. They would try to get your mask back to you. Of course, you had your name on it. But like for some comparison, pre-COVID, if you put on an N95 and walked into a room of a tuberculosis patient, you took that mask off before you left the room. You threw it in the trash and you got a new one. Right. So this concept of using the same mask for even more than one patient was way outside of protocol. Jesus was way outside. And so I was, I still have a graveyard of N95s in the bottom of my backpack, just piles and piles yeah, of that, old ones. Cause I'm like, well, this, this rubber band is still attached. I better keep it. Right. Like that. I don't know how long they work. That is a sense. We didn't that, know. That fear is a, is a sense, is a thing that I think that I have forgotten because it was, it, it, it was really, very urgent. It was a very urgent feeling of like, well, because you didn't know. I didn't know. You didn't, we, you know, you didn't know if you were going to get it. You didn't know if you were going to give it to me. You didn't right. know if you were going to give it to Max. You didn't know how easily it was going to spread to children. You didn't know what no it was going to do to children. Right. And, and we didn't know, we know a lot now about surface transmission because we've right. had a chance to study it. Yes. I used to change my clothes like yeah. three times a day and I would come home and I would wipe my whole body down and I wouldn't touch anybody and I right. would like, that was a huge deal. Yeah, like it was we a didn't huge get deal. Um, for months. Yeah, we didn't get um, like if you got stuff delivered, you 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 wipe like, it down. Wipe remember, it down. I did that for Who, quite I, a while. I wiped my groceries. I sure did. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know. So so uh, something kind of funny. Y'all y'all sit right there. So, um, I ordered this, not this, but the one behind it. I ordered this. Um. Like months before the pandemic, okay. So this is a like Godzilla sort yeah. of uh, tapestry. Um, it's a yeah. lot of like. It, it looks it looks like vomit. Um, the color scheme's real gross. It's very orange. But. <laughs> so yeah, not, not primo. Um, 
And so, but I ordered it and the package came and it said it was, you know, <laughs> from like, like the, like the Wuhan province in China. Oh man. Like when it came mm -hmm. and I, and I took it and I like threw it on the top shelf of the garage and left it there for like six You're months like, or something. Go cook. Like I was like, <gasps> I was like, I'm, we're not, we're not going to fuck with we that. We didn't know. We had no idea. This yeah. is completely novel. It's completely novel to us. Um, and everything at the beginning inside the hospital was just about as fucking scary as you can imagine. We had we had no fucking clue what we were doing. I mean, even just the mask incident there, like going from per patient basis to right. a you know multiple we didn't well, even... a week and a half. That is such a wild <laughs> flip from what you're normally sure. used to, and the reasons that you're having to do it like intensify that. I mm -hmm. imagine because like. Holy shit. Before COVID, N95s just existed in the um, supply room. You just went and grabbed one when you needed it. Yeah. And we still, to this day, keep mm. them locked up. To this day. Right. I have to go and say, hello, please, may I have another? <laughs> I mean, there were, there were like states asking other countries yeah. for N95 masks right. at a certain point. Right. And then, and then... And then things got a little better and we got some like pappers, which are personal air. I don't remember all the acronym, little, but little, little portable outbreak devices. Yeah. Oh. And those were really, really great for several months. But when a, they rotate between people and different people use them for literally 24 seven, they start to get pretty gross pretty quick. I mean, can you imagine sharing like a scuba mask with another person? I can't for, even imagine drinking out of another can from another person well this was much more <laughs> intimate than that let me tell you yeah so yeah. i remember the sense at the beginning was you you've it it felt like it was just a matter of time before you got it yeah it did i i really remember the moment when a patient in their 30s came down to my icu who could have been mm me or Richard, it could have been one of us. And there was no reason that it wasn't other than that. It just wasn't that time. And I lost my shit. I like lost my shit for a good 10 minutes. And then I pulled it back together and I just went and kept working because I didn't know what else to do except keep trying to help these people. We didn't have a plan at that point. We had, we had a few ideas. Yeah. I remember my physicians cause a lot of them are, you know, one of my physicians, they practiced in, or they they were they were born in India and practiced in UK for a long time. Another one, um, they're from all over the country, and then they came to us, but they had WhatsApp uh, chat threads running with doctors all over the world. Right. Oh, cool. With some doctors say, in Italy telling me, "This is what's working for us. You guys try mm. this too." Like it was, we were wow. flying by the seat of our pants. Holy shit. And it didn't matter whose idea was what. If someone had an idea, they were like, yeah, sure, do it. Right. It took a few weeks, and then eventually we had um, we had like some Plaquenil protocols, which quickly went out of fever when it became clear that that didn't help. What is that? Um, that's the hydroxychloroquine. Gotcha. Yeah. And, um, and if, if you don't mind, what, what did it, in what ways did it not help? Oh, um, well, I, I mean, I guess like, because whenever people talk about 
these drugs and treating COVID. I sure. don't. I don't even really understand what. Or like, the, what was the expectation versus yes, what actually? Occurred? Right. Yes. Yes. So the reason the reason that the reason that any drug that already exists comes into play is because repurposing a drug that already exists is infinitely cheaper than creating a new drug from scratch. Sure. Especially and, and something that often happens. It happens this a is lot. Not unprecedented. It's not. It's anyway. not strange. Um, the reason we know that Viagra does what it does is because they developed it to treat pulmonary hypertension. And right. they were like, oh, that gets your dick hard. Like, we're going to use that for that. And they just slap another name on it and mm -hmm. call it a day. Mm -hmm. I have patients that are on sildenafil with like a different brand name for their pulmonary hypertension. And it's Viagra. That's right. it. You just call it a different it thing. It does, does that thing. Right. It just yeah. happens to do that thing. So now we can market it for that thing. Yeah. Um. Repurposing a drug is better. And in 2003, I think, I could be misspeaking, it might be 2007, but there was a SARS outbreak that threatened the concept of, or the idea of being as bad as this one. Yeah. And there was some studies that showed, I think in vitro, promising results of hydroxychloroquine against that SARS virus. So they said, hey, let's give it a shot with this one. And that turned into, this is the cure. Everybody in this world got to witness real-time science in the last 18 months. They got to witness a catastrophe, a thing that no one had ever seen before, and they got to see the entire globe respond to it as a unit and decide what would help. And for whatever reason, changing their minds as they learned, just felt implausible. Which, because if you open a textbook now and look at how to treat chickenpox, everyone knows because it's been studied for right. however long. Right. Right. Yeah. This idea that all of this medicine is, new. is static. Well, because, right. Because I think to a lot of people, it's it's facts. Medicine, sure. science is facts in a book mm. somewhere that uh -huh. they never read. Uh -huh. <laughs> And but nonetheless, it's there. But it's there, yeah. and we should know it. And if they need to know it, they can go look at the fucking book. Right. right? right. It's not an evolving process. And if right. somebody tells you that that hydroxychloroquine might help, then by God, it better fucking help, and it better help the whole fucking time. And it's not. So what was it supposed to do? Hydroxychloroquine is commonly used as an immunosuppressant, especially in people who have diseases like lupus or um, things like that. It helps keep the immune system kind of depressed so that it's not responding in an autoimmune disease when your body is attacking itself. So that 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 brings up something I think is really, really important that, that I don't think a lot of people understood or uh, uh, still understand is that a lot of what and, and correct me when I'm wrong, elaborate. But if I understand, remember, it's a lot of what was causing the complications for COVID patients would was their immune system overreacting yes and that's what's called the cytokine storm mm -hmm. so a lot of our treatments are aimed at trying to suppress that because and it wasn't there something that like a lot of like it was a lot of a uh, cancer treatment patients is that something that you told me like Anec they didn't... anecdotally okay. anecdotally, anecdotally okay. i had patients who i would have expected to be more susceptible didn't get as sick because they'd been on like chemo. And so their immune system didn't get this huge, horrible response to it that would eventually kill them. Right. They, right. they, they, they were... got sick, but they didn't 
get uncontrollably sick. Like, like they were her. already sick with cancer. You, right. would, you would imagine that, oh, shit, you're a super vulnerable uh-huh. population. Right. Um, but not so much because their immune system. But that's didn't... that was like a very small, like little anecdotal window, right? And, and like just, and it, you know, the, what 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 is it? The plural of anecdote is not data, right? It's not evidence. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but so we tried high doses of hydroxychloroquine, um, and the immune system was still just. It it just became evident that it wasn't helping. It wasn't stop. It wasn't changing like these patients that got it versus these patients that hadn't. There was no difference. And hydroxychloroquine can have a lot of really negative side effects. People were having a lot of arrhythmias. Um, we were having to monitor people's um, EKGs much more closely than we normally would. It was that feels like another time. Um, right, I can't even yeah. remember everything we had to do, but it was that we had people going into like fatal arrhythmias because right. of it. Right. I think that's another thing that I, I don't. I don't think I understood as well, really, and until um, my mother was in the hospital recently and and passed. But how much, you know, <laughs> these things are when you're getting those treatments in the hospital, these things are spinning plates. And and one treatment to address one problem is often going to cause another problem somewhere else. Right. And and trying to sort of, you know, do these things in a balanced way so that you get across the finish line, you know. Because I think that require if you to know that requires some knowledge of how those things work. Right. Which I think a lot of people just think you get a shot and stuff goes into you and it happens right. versus like the immune system issue. It, right. That's how your immune system functions in a way, and it can go badly in cert, certain circumstances. Sure. Right? right. So that's why steroids are still one of the primary treatments for COVID because they are an immunosuppressant mm. and they keep that keep that at bay. I don't know anybody listening who's ever had a really bad sinus infection or a bad yeah, bronchitis. Totally. If you get a, a Medrel dose pack, a little steroid dose pack where you take six and then five and four and three and you feel so much better, mm-hmm. it's because you're on those steroids and because they're stopping all that inflammation and, you know, that cascade of the response that's making you feel crappy. Yeah. Um, they are a double-edged sword because it opens you up to co-infections, different bacteria, even fungal infections. Some of our patients on long-term steroids get fungal infections in their blood, which is just Oof. devastating. I mean, it's really difficult to treat so you have to balance all that stuff with turning that immune system response off with keeping them well enough not to get sick from something else right 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 and 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 plaquenil just didn't it didn't work yeah it just didn't work. it didn't work there's no data yeah i don't know if you want to go if you're going chronological here but we're in the same situation again right now yeah and now and now it's even worse because <laughs> At the risk of like sounding hyperbolic or like healthcare providers are in a position now where we're looked at as kind of like agents of lying or what am I trying to say? Like at the beginning we were heroes and everybody mm-hmm. cheered for us and cheered us on and because they were they, expecting y'all to die. They bought us food and yeah, they, they bought us food and they said because we were saving you and we were doing our best to keep people alive in a circumstance that we didn't have a real solution for. 
And then now we're saying, here is the solution. And now it's like, fuck you. We don't want to, we don't want to do what you tell us. And, and just to, just to sort of, um, sorry, I got caught up on a cord here. Um, A or C. Sorry. Oh, like a, yeah. Um, now, when we when 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 you're talking about people blaming you, we're not even I mean, even though these are the things that are happening in social media conversations and whatnot, that's not what you're referring to. No. You're referring to literal patients. Yes. Literally blaming you. Yes. Literally accusing you of being and withholding agent. withholding medications that we that, that they know will help their loved one. Um I've had to explain multiple times in the last few weeks why we cannot give ivermectin in the hospital. Um, Would you yeah. mind explaining it one more time? <laughs> so, ivermectin is a human drug. There's a lot of medications, or there's a lot of a lot of stuff going around online, and there's a lot of very hilarious memes about horse medication. But I yes, there are. But I don't. <laughs> What I want to be clear is that I am well aware that ivermectin is a human medication. Um, it has won a Nobel Prize for science because it is such a good medication against parasite infections. Um, intestinal worms and head lice come to mind um, when I looked it up and did my little reading about it. It's cheap. It's in a tablet form. When taken at the correct dosage... Side effects are pretty low, um, and it's safe for what it does. It's shown some antiviral properties in the past. To be clear, it is not an antiviral. The drug, for example, like an example of an antiviral is a cyclovir that you take if you have uh, shingles um, or herpes. Or if you, the remdesivir that we're giving for COVID is an antiviral drug that was, I think, another repurposed drug. I could be misspeaking on that, too. But it's one of our standards of care for COVID at this point. Ivermectin is not an on-label antiviral, but it has shown some antiviral properties. So mm -hmm. because of that, same story as Plaquenil, they said, hey... Existing drug, been around a long time, cheap, easy to make. Let's see if this will work. So they did some studies, which are the studies that people keep, they are just holding on to. They really want to believe in them. And I do too. Man, do I want to believe in it. But yeah, yeah, like, cause, cause that's the thing. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is that you said it at the very beginning when you went and visited a, a hospital? You're in this game to help people. Right. Yeah. You're in this game to fucking help people. We are. Like, and if there was a cheap, inexpensive drug that could help people. That just turned this shit off. No yeah. one would be happier than you. Or that prevented it. Like, like, to, and, and do you think that pharmaceutical companies wouldn't be manufacturing it? Like, right. Because at this point when like Merck is saying, fist, don't take our ivermectin, please. Right. That like, should tell you everything you need to know. Exactly. Because right. if anybody wants to make money. It's a pharmaceutical company. Right. And the, I love modern medicine, but man, are they some scoundrels. Undeniable. Uh, yeah. So let me let me pause right there because I just want to reiterate this because I just these are just sort of very important tropes that come up is that so you just heard a medical professional <laughs> 
whose life is absolutely dedicating to giving people the necessary care they need when they're in critical situations say that there are problems with the healthcare system and say that there are explicitly problems with pharmaceutical companies. You can have both of those thoughts at the same time. Yeah. Who fucking knew? There's a drug that we have that can reverse, reverse, simply switch, turn off a blood thinner when someone is having a having bleeding inside their brain. And I have to go through what feels like the passage of a bill in Congress to get it given because it is so expensive. And my pharmacy Jesus. doesn't want to dispense it if there's any chance it's not the right choice. So mm. I have to prove what I'm doing. And it, it, sometimes I get so mad and I'm like, I don't fucking care how much it costs. They're bleeding. This might work. And it's like, it's not that simple. Well, we so need your dissertation on our desk. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And and um they have to meet like they gotta get into Yale first before <laughs> I can give them all the stuff. Yeah. And and so well and also though, specifically with right now and the and the ivermectin, like the idea that there's a treatment that would get these assholes out of your hospital. The level <laughs> that you wouldn't have to deal with these people I yelling actually, and screaming yeah. at you. I hate you a lot right now. You think I would get you out of here if I could? Yeah, like I don't want your you don't want your I don't want even your, even you know? aside from the people being complete assholes, it's like do you really believe, do you honestly believe that tens of thousands of healthcare providers across this country could work together to keep a secret? They, yes, they do. They think that that's possible. They absolutely think that's possible. Well, um, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> We're bad at secrets. We like to be right. And we really, really like to solve problems. And y'all are going to compete and with each other. And we're going to fucking tell everyone right, when right, we figure right, it right, out. Right. And and so we were building plexiglass boxes to try to figure out how to put them around patients' heads at the beginning of this pandemic, so we wouldn't have to breathe their air. Things are <laughs> bananas, guys. If ivermectin did it, right, right. So and, the reason, okay, go ahead. No, no, what I was going to ask is like, and so also the thing with ivermectin is, is a dosage issue, right? Right. So here's the thing. So here's the study that everybody keeps going back to that they're latching onto, that they're wanting to say, this is why every doctor that is worth their salt is lying to us. And this one guy who's works for a pain management clinic will write me this prescription or whatever, whatever. In vitro means in cell so that means that not involuntarily cell but <laughs> oh <laughs> i forget that that's a thing i'm sorry um in vitro studies were done where ivermectin showed some promise against covid19 um and what it did was like and it was stop in, it from growing right. right and it was in like i think it was either mice or rats yeah. some kind of rodent cell yeah showed promising results in order to replicate that dose in a human you needed about 100 times 100 two decimal sp spaces the safe dose for human consumption. If you give that level of dose to a human, they might survive it, but they will likely like shed their intestinal lining, probably have a seizure, definitely need some poison control management, things like that. 
this is going to be an, an odd question, but what does a safe, what is the, a safe dose of ivermectin look like, like volume wise, like a couple of pills? Well, here's something that I've always told my nursing students and that I always tell my nurses. If you have to pull out more than three of something out of the machine to give to a patient, you should question it because that's too many. So I don't even know what it would look like. I really, truly don't. I don't give ivermectin in the ICU. We don't have people come in with head lice that need ICU care. That's not a thing. That's fair. That's <laughs> right? God, really, you don't understand. I mean, man. I have, to be clear, to be clear, we have definitely taken care of people with head lice, but that's not usually their primary Right. Problem. Yeah, that, they don't run in the emergency room. <gasps> Like, no, that's not it. That's not it. I've never wow. written a prescription for ivermectin, and I certainly won't do it right now. That's interesting. Yeah. And and I, I, I'm assuming... And I didn't know about the drug until this pandemic, and I can guarantee you that almost every person looking for it right now also hasn't heard about it, unless they mm -hmm. raised livestock. Fair point. Right. I guess that's the answer to your question is, right, like, go look at what people are buying from, like, feed stores and shit. And look at yeah, those doses. Yeah, and, and because I, that stuff is a much different concentration. And right. an important thing about pharmaceuticals isn't just active ingredients, it's inactive ingredients. And a lot of stuff sure. you give livestock or horses or other animals might be totally fine for human consumption. But most of us have have house pets. We have two cats. Everybody's probably given a prescription to an animal at some point. It says real big on those bottles, do not for human consumption, despite the fact that for example, our kitten got gabapentin so that she could go and get her stitches out safely. Gabapentin is something people take for diabetic neuropathy all the time. It's a pain management drug. I wouldn't take hers because I don't know what else is in it. Like I don't. That's a really, really good point because yeah. there's all sorts of there's you know depending on on the dosages. Our metabolisms aren't the same. Our enzymes right. aren't the same. Right. Like there's a reason they're different right. drugs. Right, right, right. There's all and you know. And, and there's going to be, depending on the dosages that are appropriate to those animals because of their respective biological systems or because of their mass, there's going to have to be different inert ingredient, you know, different yes. ingredients yeah. to help with the binding of it for that appropriate dosage and whatnot yeah. and things like that. You know, and, you, you know, there might be certain things that a horse can metabolize that you can't metabolize. Right. And well, and the like concentration that. of it is huge. Their mass is so big. I mean, horses... They're not, not small animals. They're not small animals. And here's what it really boils down to. If you can go to a physician, shame on them if they do it, but if you can go to a physician and they will say, you know what, sure, here's here's a prescription for ivermectin. See if you can just, just take it to avoid getting COVID. People are using it as a replacement to getting vaccinated. That is what is happening. And if you can get the human-safe, human-form dosage of ivermectin and you take it, it probably won't hurt you, but it will not keep you from getting COVID as of what we know right now. There are clinical trials ongoing mm -hmm. um, in a few hospitals around the country. There have been some clinical trials stopped because of futility, meaning that it showed absolutely no promise. And so they said, nope, stop doing that. Um, a couple papers that are referenced a lot have been retracted because of plagiarism and falsified data. Mm -hmm. Which is problematic happen. because, you know, Wakefield got us here. So I'm referring to Andrew Wakefield, the uh, mm -hmm. sort of Pied Piper of modern anti the anti-vax movement. It's a really good description. Um, so which, which to clarify, 
the things that uh, doctors are often accused of, of only doing what their backers tell them and all these other things. That's exactly <laughs> <Who's my backer? laughs> That's Me? exactly what Andrew Wakefield did. Like he was approached yeah. by a lawyer um, to to find a link between autism and vaccinations. Yeah. And also he had an he had a very blatant financial incentive because he was developing he he was advocating supposedly for a different vaccine schedule and he had patented you know, a, a, a separate whatever vaccine. So he is the exact example that people want, you know, you know, he's corrupt. He was only, he was trying to make money. He's a bad actor in that sense. And he, um, and he's selling something. Yeah. He's selling something and he, um, you know, went and found what someone was paying him to find, Right. you know? So anyway, just put a pin in that. If you, if you want you know, we're, there's a lot to go find out about that dude. He's, yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot. Um, and all of it has been taken out of circulation of what is considered evidence-based practice at this point. Right. And 100% of it. And so, but another thing about like, so what I'm hearing about, about the ivermectin is that given in safe human doses, right. it doesn't have too many side effects. No, it does uh, decrease your sperm count quite a bit, according to some of the studies I was reading on today. That's probably pretty good then. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably pretty good. Um, like we're talking like ninety percent had like decreased counts and morphology and like, I mean, granted, well, sperm unfortunately are produced all the time, so it's probably temporary. But well, and these people, if you were taking ivermectin, you probably had COVID, so maybe it was related to COVID complications as well. Well, COVID, long COVID, can cause erectile dysfunction for sure. So, and good luck with that. the The connection I'm trying to make is that it's a medication that's not necessarily going to hurt you, and so it is this thing that you that you can take. And then if you by chance get better, you know, it's a lot like the essential oils and a lot sure. of the um, homeopathy and whatnot, which is just diluted water. It's placebo. It's yeah. placebo. Or it's just a very anecdotal little piece. Like I had a person come at me on social media and say, well, I know three people who took it and it they, is possible to and they felt better in just three or four days. They might have felt better in three or four days because they took vitamin C. Yeah. We're giving vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc to every COVID patient because there is some protective nature to those. Is it a cure? No. But it all kind of works in concert. And the biggest problem that I have with ivermectin and the hypocrisy of it is that they're pushing back against a vaccine and they keep using the word experimental, which, of course, it's no longer considered that because the Pfizer vaccine is approved by the FDA. I'm sure Moderna will be shortly followed, but ivermectin is absolutely still an experimental drug for COVID. Just because it's an established drug mm. doesn't mean that mm. it is mm. not experimental for COVID. Anything used off-label is an experiment. Yeah, well, and I feel like that's, you know, the word experiment, I feel like it's... a very negative connotation for whatever reason. Well, and in that sense, I, I feel like it's being very lazy with the application of that word because... It's, it's been spun that way. Right. And, and I mean, it was experimental in the, you know, like the vaccines are experimental in the initial trials. Of course. That's when you could have called it an experimental drug. Mm -hmm. And after that, the experiment has been run. It's no longer really experimental. <laughs> right. The experiment's over at that point. Yeah. Right. The E in the EUA was emergency use 
authorization, which meant this shit works. Give it as fast as you can. We're going to run this red tape stuff through and get the paperwork stamped and signed mm-hmm. yeah. and put a little sign on it and say it's good. I've been vaccinated for eight months as of the day before yesterday. And I couldn't have done it fast enough. Yeah. Um, are there rare risks associated with getting the COVID vaccine? Yes. Um, most of those risks are specific complications that are 10, 20 times more likely if you actually have a COVID infection. For example, a blood clot. People with COVID are like 20 times more likely to develop a blood clot than somebody and, and, that got the vaccine. And so just to be real clear here, because I think we, we need to, if we're going to, if we're going to mention those things, we need to be a little more explicit when you're talking about the risks of getting blood clots because of the vaccine. Hmm. Um, we're not talking about a one out of 10, nope. one out of a hundred, one out of a thousand, 10,000. Nope. We're talking out of a million. Is it that was what like it is? eight out of several million. Right. So these are, these the, are the va- risk is extremely low. Does it exist? Yes. So there's a risk but, with every vaccine. Right. The yeah. risk, the benefit outweighs the risk by a long shot right. when it comes to this vaccine. Yeah. If, they told me tomorrow I could vaccinate my three-year-old for COVID. I would take him tomorrow. I would not hesitate. Would I be a little nervous? Sure. I'm nervous every time he gets a vaccine because he's a brand new body. That's not happened to him before. It's a brand right. new thing. Right. But yeah, and I mean, and I, and I was I was nervous when you got it just because it was new. Sure. You know, and and I was nervous when I got it, mm-hmm. um, because it was new, but it wasn't. Those fears were not rational, and 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 that's that's well, the in a way they were, but in a way they're like. Well, and even be, if they are, the benefit still is more, you know. Because also the thing about it being new is like this vaccine technology has been around for like not fifty new. years. Right. Say that again. The mRNA vaccine technology is not new. They've been working on it a very long time. Right, right. It's been like essentially in development. The, the for problem, like the a... problem is funding. You know, yeah. nobody wants to. F- right. HIV is a preventable illness. We don't need to like. Con- like we know exactly how to not get HIV, and while it is a devastating illness, that was very unknown for quite some time. I don't think that. There's not a shit. I could be wrong about this again all of this grain of salt, but I don't think there's a shit ton of money being thrown at research for HIV vaccine or hepatitis, which is Mm. hepatitis does have a vaccine, but like, there's just, I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Like the, the, that, that is a narrative that, that, that isn't really being spun is that, yeah, this vaccine happened very quickly and it's because it's just because whole, of funding, because the whole world you, or, you know, there was a huge concerted right. effort. Right. Every person involved in vaccine research was doing the same work at the same time. Right. And anyone who had money to put into that was putting it into it right. because lives matter. I, from what I understand, I could be mistaken somewhere along the line, but from what I understand, the we were at a point a few years ago to where we could have moved forward on this vaccine for like a, a, a COVID SARS type vaccine. Sure. But it sort of got there at the right point to where we could just take this last, and it was like a delivery mechanism issue mm-hmm. basically. Right. 
and that's that's what was been focused that that's what got focused on the last year and a half really and that's what sort of came to fruition at the end of last year right so so all the technology the complicated stuff as far as the mrna blueprint that i think was already like been in the works for a, a long, long time, time. Yeah. yeah i mean like, this isn't new 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 no. This yeah. This yeah. isn't something we started from no. scratch on in March of 2020. Definitely not. Right. mRNA technology has been around for a while. And it's useless trying to explain that to some lay people because they don't even know what mRNA is. Right. I mean, I took a few genetics classes for my biology degree. I took a few. Bi- <laughs> a few. Hold on. Sorry. I just want just want to Give you some credit there. Like a few genetics classes. I took biochemistry, which talked a lot about stuff like that not not a chapter not not like a section in your bio course like, like in high school yeah. yeah like you didn't just have to do the, no, the, I had the to rg take, whatever no, sequences or whatever right. yeah yeah so anyway um but yeah like that I, I i think of it as sort of in terms almost like analogous to the space race and whatnot of like no one was going to be able to get to the moon without a like the technology used to get to the moon wasn't particularly new in the sixties. Like there wasn't huge technological or or, um, scientific advances per se, if I was to sort of draw a line between a scientific advance and a technological advance, Um, you know, like the physics of it wasn't new Mm -hmm. is what, is what I'm, is what I'm saying, you know, um rockets well, rockets had been around for a minute what's this bizarre idea that like like fucking kyle from the farm didn't get like the notification that mrna had been studied in 2012 mm-hmm. and so now he's all upset because <laughs> now he's asked to take an mrna vaccine like that's ridiculous it's gonna change his dna yeah like if you want to know about mrna then like go become a geneticist or, or at go, least read a Wikipedia article. Like go, at least, like that's go, all I did. I read and like watched some some videos and shit. Right. And I got a little bit of information. I mean, there's <laughs> videos that out there it. that look like Jurassic Park, and it's like I'm a DNA <laughs> molecule. Like they're gonna teach you, <laughs> like what dinosaur. you dinosaur. I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> like they're gonna yeah. tell you the difference between like messenger RNA versus DNA. It's just literally Jurassic Park. Steven Spielberg could teach you more than a lot of people probably know. <laughs> Michael Crichton, God rest his soul, he could Actually, absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, it's just so. It's so frustrating to be suddenly like. I have never been questioned more, ever, in just the most basic stuff, and not just like, oh. Explain to me how that's working, but like confrontational anger. Not curiosity. No, not curiosity. Like, like why aren't you doing this? Like, I had a Zoom <sighs> call with a family member a few days ago where they said, you're not supposed to be giving that drug. You're supposed to be giving this one. And I was like, are you a healthcare provider? And they said, no. And I said, this is the drug we're supposed to be giving. She's like, that's not what I saw online. And I walked away from the phone call because saying what I wanted to say would have been unhelpful so i had the privilege of stepping away from that tablet but (laughs) i have never been in the position where i am asked to prove that we are that we are qualified to do what we're doing as many times as we are asked that right now 
And when it's, you say right now, you mean like within the past six weeks, two months, or? Sure, I guess. When did Delta really start picking up? August, early August. I don't yeah, remember now. I don't remember Late now. July. Late July. Late there July, was yeah. there was a solid few weeks where we were down to zero COVID patients in our ICU, and it was wonderful. Wow. And now it's ninety eight percent COVID, and all but a handful, like ninety eight percent of our COVID patients are unvaccinated. I will say that with confidence. Yeah, it's. I hate to say. I hate to say it this way, but there's a. Um, as a as an outsider looking in, there's a rhythm now to the surges, where, leading up to it, there's about two or three weeks at the hospital where sort of morale goes down and the dread senses because y'all can feel it coming, mm. and then it hits, and then there's about two to four weeks, of kind of just chaos not knowing when it's going to sort of plateau and not knowing how things are going to work and then there do we have enough ventilators do we have enough staff i mean nurses right. are quitting left and right we're right. working short staff people are calling in we're fucking sick of this fucking shit <laughs> right and yeah. and then at some point it doesn't really get better y'all just, just get stops, used to it or it just stops getting worse Right, yeah. right, and y'all, y'all just get kind of a that just becomes y'all's new normal. Right, every one of my patients has COVID. That's it, and everything else becomes more lethal in the meantime. That's a really important point. Um, because if you come in and you have a heart attack, we're not going to have the space for you. If you have appendicitis and you need emergency surgery it's gonna be tough right. we're we're pushing everything really thin right now yeah right. that's been the really big argument lately right is like how to prioritize that like our yeah. people our hospitals having to go into triage we are and, we absolutely are i triage is, i triage every day i wish that i could remember how many times it happened but multiple times during this pandemic i have had to choose between one or two or three patients who were decompensating quickly and were in need of a ventilator. And I had to be the last person who chose which one of them got it. And I'm fucking tired of doing that. And and that but, means I'm essentially choosing who lives and dies. Yeah. And I'm I shouldn't have to be the person that does that that many times in eighteen months. Yeah. And right now there's a way to keep from dying from this. That, yeah. Right. And you you had to do that even before COVID, but it was very rare. Extremely rare. Extremely rare. rare. I mean, there was never, we were never counting ventilators. Right. I never knew yeah. how many ventilators were in my hospital. I never <laughs> knew. <laughs> you didn't care. You I didn't, didn't care. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't have to know. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how many nurses it took to turn a patient onto their stomach. Right. And now that probably happens multiple times a day. For every single patient, we turn we patient. turn we turn them from their stomach to their back at three p.m. and they turn them from their back to their stomach at nine p.m. It takes about one, two, three, four nurses, at least one respiratory therapist, maybe two, and maybe a fifth person to kind of man the whole thing. Because when you flip someone like a a rotisserie, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
you've got to watch all the tubes and lines. There's right. something coming out of every hole. So you got to make sure you've got it all lined up. And the, the physical toll it's taking on everyone. I mean, I hear about people that are like wigged out when they're like, oh, my goodness. I think that I I think that I might have like seen someone in the grocery store who was coughing. And I'm like, we know we're in these rooms so many times a day and we're just we're just doing it over and over and over again and yeah like this room this door says covid on it in huge red letters right, like we, i know what's in there we know and we don't mind it's what we're here to do but making me very anxious i'm sorry i don't just, know what you want me to not be doing I, I just i want you to point your face at the microphone that's all. Sorry, I don't like <laughs> I don't like just staring at this door and like shouting yeah, at the closet. I, no one's over there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, it blocks my. I know. I know. It's well, fine. You, you, I could, don't... you could come closer to me. No, no, it's good. I'm good. I'm comfortable. <laughs> okay. See, okay, I'm just sorry. Trying to help. Um, marriage. <laughs> <laughs> um. Ta da. We. We know what we got into when we got into healthcare, but for every person saying we signed up for this, no, we fucking didn't oh, yeah. because no one has ever fought so hard against doing the one thing that we're telling, we're saying, here's what it is. If you trust us to save your life when you can't breathe, please trust us when we tell you that the vaccine is safe. That's it. If you don't trust us to save your life when you can't breathe, please do not come. We are very busy. Yep. I, that's cold and it's perhaps unethical to somebody. But the truth is, is that pretty soon. It seems like it's reality right now. It is reality. Yeah, that's that that when I whenever I get angry about it, that's how I feel. That's, you know, is, you know. Is is like all right, man. We'll have the fucking guts to bury your own fucking dead if you're not gonna if you're not gonna do what people are asking you to do. When um and, when the plague happened, specifically the 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 plague in Britain, bubonic, bubonic I suppose. Europe. Sure, Europe. There would if you had the plague, and they found out, they would lock your doors and put an X on the door and be like, maybe you live, maybe you don't. And occasionally a wheelbarrow would come around and collect the bodies. They didn't try. They didn't. The best they had to help was a priest. And as nice as they are, they're not very helpful when it comes to the management of COVID. Other than serving people their last rites and things like that. Morale boost at the end there. Mostly for their families. Um, But it's... There, you guys wanted an easy solution. I say you guys. I shouldn't be saying you guys. People, the public, everybody, all of us, me. We wanted a solution, and then it was given to us, and it's and it's here. Um, we have it. And yeah. can you get COVID after you get vaccinated? Yes. Does it reduce the severity of your symptoms? Yes. Does it protect from hospitalization and death by an astounding amount? Yes. Can you still give somebody else COVID when you have the vaccine and you get COVID? Yes. But your viral load is smaller. Your infectious period is shorter. 
then you're much less likely to do so. And perhaps what is the most silly about all of this is that getting COVID to prevent COVID is the dumbest idea I've ever heard, which is what a lot of people say about their natural immunities. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, because those if you did get it, those antibodies at some point are going to run out and, you know, you're going to all immunity wanes over time. Right. Even from vaccines. Even from vaccines. For example, a lot of vaccines that we all get in our childhood, um, like MMR MMR, and chickenpox and things like that, those waned for me and my titers were checked by my hospital where I work. And they said, hey, your titers are a little low. We need you to get revaccinated. And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. What does that mean, your titers? My titers. So it's like the level of antibodies present in your blood to tell you like how protected I am against this or this or this. Okay. So they want to make sure that I'm not going to like bring measles into the hospital, which yeah, is sure. fair. Yeah, um, like so you, I got the flu vaccine every year. Exactly. And the right. flu is one of those tricky ones that kind of changes and yeah, they try to guess. Just and, yeah. Right. Um, but I got like an MMR booster and I got like a chicken pox booster because mm-hmm. I had chicken pox as a kid and my immunity had waned a bit. So they were like, hey, we're going to give you a boost. I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. All right. So something I, I, I there were two things I wanted to ask you um but one of them sort of specifically just sort of my own benefit is how does or how do the mrna vaccines work the simplest yes like lay person simple so the mrna is a messenger molecule that's what the m stands for messenger yes and rna is ribosomal nucleic acid. It's not DNA that you think of when you think about what makes you you. Um, But the mRNA is delivered into your body through a carrier molecule. In the case of, I think, both Pfizer and Moderna, it's a lipid molecule. There's not a lot of ingredients in the vaccine. The list is pretty short. Um, And your body picks that up, and it looks at it like a blueprint for a house. And it says, okay, I'll go ahead and make this. Don't know what this is, but this guy told me to make it. So they make it and it's the spike protein antigen. I'm sorry. It's the spike protein outside of COVID. And then your body sees that spike protein and is like, who the fuck is that? (laughs) That's an invader. So they start making antibodies and a immune response to that spike protein to be able to latch onto it and neutralize it yeah and then you wait a few weeks your immune system was like oh phew that was close thank goodness we got some guys to look out for that thing so at this point they have like a wanted poster on the wall yes they have that's exactly it that's a really good way to describe it yeah they've seen it right they don't totally know what it does yet they've seen it and then you get the second dose and your body's like oh it's that fucking guy again and they're like (laughs) make some antibodies and they right. make it and you feel like shit. Some of us, you get a fever, you feel achy, my like knees hurt. It was very strange. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's how I was explained the different responses to your different, to your first dose or your right. second dose is that your first time around shit's happening on the fly. Yeah. Do, your immune system doesn't know how to react and it just kind of does what it can. Right. Second time around, it knows what to look for. And it's like, exactly. oh shit, that dude, bring out the fucking big guns. Yeah. Let's do and this. then it, and then it gets all these soldiers and it's like, Oh, wait, there's only like four of you? 
okay, we'll stand down, yeah, yeah. but we're ready. <laughs> right. So then now you get exposed to COVID and it's like, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> not on our watch. It's, it's, it's training. It's training in, in your sense. body to create an immunity that is stronger and more robust than a natural immunity to the virus because you also get very sick when you have the actual virus of COVID. <laughs> and, and so and so, what is a lipid? Oh, it's a fat. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. So it's, it's not it's a just... toxin or no. a microchip? <laughs> no, it's just it's a- 5G? It's oh. just a blob of- I think it's a gluten. Like anything that's bad for you is a gluten, right? Like a calorie, a calorie is a gluten. Is butter a carb? Um, oh, mean girls, ladies out there. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that in a while. On an all-carb diet, Karen. Um, uh, lipid is a fat molecule. It's right. just a vessel. So this is so you need something because you can't in, put nothing into a needle. You need a Right. You need a vessel. Well, I mean, that's sim- that that's sort of that's similar. It's true with every single medicine ever. It's an inert ingredient. Well, and it's it's even similar to how the virus spreads in it. it and, you know, it spreads through droplets. Oh, sure. It doesn't. You know, like whenever people were like, but, oh, masks don't work. But I want to be very, 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 very clear. There's absolutely no active COVID virus in any of the COVID vaccines. Right. There's not even like virus pieces except in the, the AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca, I think, has some like virus chunks because mm-hmm. like the, in it. the way that some vaccines can work is Just they will take extremely reduced versions of the virus correct and, and so i told i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about so if if you have a if you have a vaccine that is using some of the virus itself is that sort of bypassing that spike protein making process yes yeah, yeah. Oh, okay that's why this is so much better because we don't have to use right you're telling piece. you're, you're it's sort of literally just a blueprint it's just a lesson plan yeah, instead of like saying, here's what the thing actually looks like, it's just like we're going right. to build a decoy of what it looks like. Yeah. Like, and teaching your body to and your body, And then right. that mRNA messenger piece that we talked about at the beginning is broken down by your body's natural processes within a hours to days. Right. It's gone. Right. That's why if you don't have any side effects within, that's why like they watch you for 10 minutes. Yeah. And if you don't have any side effects, you know, like well, whatever right. side effects you're going to have are going to be within right. the first few weeks. Well, and, and then, then that response that you have over like the next 24 to 48 hours isn't what was in the needle. It's your own yeah. body doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, right. The Which... other... The other unfortunate and rare side effects that are happening, like pericarditis and myocarditis, which I know they've seen in some pediatric patients a little more, um, and the blood clots are extremely rare. And they're more of like a signal of like, hey, we noticed this happening in these arms of these studies, so we're keeping an eye on this. But if you have COVID, your chances of a blood clot, pericarditis, and myocarditis are enormous compared to the risk of when right. you get vaccinated. So, vaccine, yeah. again, getting COVID to prevent COVID is stupid. And I hate to use that word, but it is. Yeah. And uh, so there, there was one other thing that, that I wanted to um, ask you about and get you to sort of riff on for a second. Because I... Because you you said it the other day, just sort of in conversation, and it and it sort of it made a light bulb go off for me because I used to, and it sort of solved a philosophical problem that I had um, when I was younger. Because I um, 
I went to college for physics and mathematics. And so when I was out of college and whatnot, hanging out and having like small talk with people, the thing about physics is that m most of what you do with physics is, you know, you talk about it a little bit and, you know, maybe you speak about it really well and you can do, you know, some good presentations or some good fun lectures, you know, like Neil deGrasse Tyson style or something like that. And you can be a, a science entertainer, if you will. But the majority of it is math and the majority of it is, is modeling and figuring out how to model these processes with mathematics. So it's not, you can't like do physics in a, in a conversation with someone at a bar. <laughs> but nonetheless, people would want to talk to me about physics and they would want to talk to me about why they think that they really understand quantum mechanics and why they have a solution and why, well, maybe it's just really like this. And they want to talk about like, well, doesn't that mean that it's possible that a pink elephant could appear at any moment because everything's probable and, you know. And Frantically scribbling this on a napkin on a bar somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Like they're all just sort of like they watched like Beautiful Mind and What the Bleep. And like they had a fever dream and watched both of those movies and they're trying to reenact them with me. And, and I would get upset and I would get frustrated because I, what I wanted to happen, which this isn't the right perspective, is I basically wanted to be able to say like, look, I have a physics degree, so no one else in the room is able to talk about physics but me, which is, which is of course stupid. Um, but you said something the other day that sort of solved this problem. Uh, because when I tried to solve it philosophically years ago, what I came to was, okay, well, if you're an expert in something, then you should have better things to say, which is very, very subjective. It's hard to define that, right? But you, the other day you were talking about um, the, you know, the, the culture of medicine and how things work when you're trying to, to take care of people. And I think the phrase that you used, please correct me, was, there's no appeal to authority. Oh, yeah. Doesn't matter. Like everybody in the hospital has a credential. Uh, like this is going to sound well. Okay. The when I talked about it, I was actually talking about some of the Facebook groups I'm in, which are considered we consider them evidence-based groups. Um they're not everybody's cup of tea because if you're in an evidence-based mom group, they're going to tell you when you're doing something unsafe in regards to sleep or mm -hmm. the way you're feeding your baby or what you're dressing them in. Or if you're using a rock and play that's been recalled. Right. If you're, if you're bed sharing and things like that, they're going right. to say, well, this is what the evidence says. So one of the main rules in all of those groups is that there is no appeal to authority, which means it doesn't matter what your credentials are because, you know, a lot of people are scientists and just like these doctors that are claiming to be board certified that are now saying that ivermectin works, it's the same problem. They're using an appeal to authority to sell their snake oil. It doesn't matter that I'm a nurse practitioner. The most important thing about evidence-based medicine is that the burden of proof lies in the person making the claim. So if a person comes and tells you that a drug works against a certain illness, it's not up to me to show you why it doesn't. It's up to that person to show you why it does. Right. So there's no appeal to authority. Right. You make a claim, you provide the mm -hmm. evidence. Yes. If there's not evidence, it doesn't work, then it's thrown out. That's it. 
as much as we want it to work. We all wanted Plaquenil to work. It's cheap. It's everywhere. Right. Didn't work. Right. And, Bummer. And a lot of the discourse around these things, there's a, there's a, I think a tacit assumption amongst many of the critics that it is all based on authority and that, oh, I'm supposed to listen to you because you, because you are a doctor. Mm-hmm. Well, I found another doctor who says this. And so like, and it's, well, it's, and the thing is, is that I'm not trusting things I know. I'm trusting the experts in this. I'm trusting the people who are the virologists. I'm pe- I'm trusting there's more than one type of doctor. Right. I'm trusting the people in the lab that are studying all these things and that are coming back to me and saying the evidence shows that this works and I'm like, "Cool, let's do it." I don't know why. I don't I can't tell you what You didn't what see each, that experiment. Uh, no, I didn't, but I'm but I'm going with the 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 most evidence. Yeah. I'm taking the thing with the most evidence and using that. So if right. ivermectin turns itself around and shows that it's really good at a preventative treatment, by all means, let's crank it out. But like you said, Merck is like, please stop. Right. Like, is that the company that makes it? I think that was the big one it, that spoke it, out and said, hey, okay. please stop taking this. Yeah. The FDA did. Yeah. The FDA is like, don't. I mean, specifically, do not take ivermectin that is designed for animals. Yeah. It's yeah. not safe. And if you do, please have the number to poison control handy for your loved ones. Yeah. And again, the like, if you're doing that as an alternative to the vaccine, it just makes it doesn't make so no, little any sense. sense. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not really rolling the dice with the vaccine at this point. Not after the millions and hundreds of millions of doses that have been administered. Right. Right. And, and so, but yeah, like that, that, that really, because in the conversations I've had with, with you know vaccine skeptical people there it's strange because they really do it seems like they do have a lot they value authority and they seem to value hierarchy quite a bit they just don't they they don't they they want it to be sort of an inverted hierarchy like they they, like all a lot of their arguments are are based on an appeal to authority argument um but who they're choosing as an authority well that's the thing is like the the group of doctors who are pushing ivermectin and the ones that push plaquenil and the ones that all do this these frontline doctors of america or whatever they are that's the group name yeah they're like they're like retired ophthalmologists and like that that doctor in Houston who Man. legitimately believes that your infertility or your miscarriage is caused by sex with a demon. Yeah. That's not the person who I want to seek medical care from. And if you do, great. But the truth is, is that if 10,000 doctors say one thing and one doctor says another thing, I'm going to go with the 10,000 doctors. Yeah, that man, that is a whole fucking thing right there of whenever someone who's an expert in one thing gets really interested in something else. That's a whole fucking problem in and of itself. Well, and, and doctors, doctors and healthcare providers and all of us, we're not, we're not gods. We're not to be believed at every turn. Right. But when collectively, unanimously, all of us on the front lines are vaccinated and are telling you that this is the safe thing to do and this is the best thing you can to protect yourself. I don't know, I'm too tired to talk to other people. Like, trust me, we're not in cahoots. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have time well, to, like... I think that's something that keeps coming up, too, though, is, like, is there, there are so many frontline people who are still refusing to get vaccinated. Right, and pretty soon they're not going to have a job. It's very strange. As of today, 
from what yeah. I heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, hospital systems like mine made the news when they decided to mandate the vaccine for their employees. Mm. So like four months ago or something. I don't even remember. Time's real slippery these days. Yeah. And um, there was some lawsuits about it, but vaccine mandates have been around forever. It's how we all went to elementary school. Yep. Like it's not, yep. it's, not it's not new. Just like the mRNA is not new. I mean, just because it's new to you, right? Doesn't mean I haven't it's seen new. it. It's I new don't, to me. I don't know. There's not a lot of healthcare facilities that don't require a flu vaccine from their employees without, you know, proof of a of an allergy. So mm. it's just, it's just because the evidence is so overwhelming in favor of it that pretty soon the world is going to get very small if you don't want to get vaccinated. It is not coercion. It's not. You absolutely must do this. It's just you won't get to do these things if you don't. Yeah, or I think I think what I saw today was that healthcare facilities can not get uh, reimbursed. Correct through Medicaid, Medicare. And that's a big deal. And that is that seems like a really big deal in that case. Yeah. And then companies over a hundred employees mm-hmm. are mandated now. Yep. Government employees are mandated now. Uh, no, no uh, option for testing. Just right vaccine only. You gotta do this. Yeah. So. Yeah, very quickly. I think that's going to be right. the norm. Things are going to get very small for people who put, dig their heels in. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, and it's not really, it's not really about freedom. It's to me, it, it's more about consent and that. Informed consent is a lot different than misinformed coercion. Um, elaborate. Because that sounded like those mean very specific things. <laughs> informed consent is. You have been provided the information about what you are consenting to. In the case of a COVID vaccine, you are consenting to receiving a vaccination against the COVID-19 virus um, that has the risks and benefits laid out Mm -hmm. by the makers of the vaccine and by all of us here in the healthcare world. And you agree to do it and you sit down and you get the shot misinformed coercion is someone dragging you in a room and blindfolding you and shooting stuff into your body that you are not aware of. Like, I mean, it's it's definitely not that. No. Um, And, and, and when I was saying like, you absolutely have a choice not to get it, but you don't have a choice to keep doing all the things you want to do at the expense of other people. And and, and to me, that's where the sort of consent is, is that you, you don't, Yes, you have. Yes, of course, you have the freedom to not get it, you know, Um, because I don't want to see I don't want to see things like I don't want the cops to have this job. I, I, you know what I mean? I don't want to like, all right, well, we need cops to go give people vaccines. No, (laughs) no, please. No, no. I don't want that. Um, We just want people to believe doctors again. And so, yeah, okay, you don't you don't you don't want to get that's fine, but. You still don't have the freedom to put me at risk without my consent. Right. And that's really what it is for me. And so, you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I mean, not even just cops, like restaurant workers Mm -hmm. are having to bear the brunt of that responsibility right now. Yeah. Teachers. There's teachers dying in Texas and Florida. Yeah. Yeah, making that choice does not only affect no. the person making that choice. If you, yeah. you want to overeat yourself into 700 pounds and 
do that, it's not a good choice. It's a bad choice and it's harmful to you and it will probably kill you, but it's not going to take anybody else out on the way, not directly. Right. Yeah. You'll, you'll cause some, you know, you'll cause some emotional sure. stress to your family. Yeah. People are going to need the, therapy and all this other stuff. But like, but, but plenty of skinny people stress their families out too. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> yeah. You They're, don't, you just don't get to set everything on fire around you and then say it's not your fault. Yeah. Like there will be fallout from that situation, yeah. but it won't be you. Nobody Th- else. There will is... be no intentionality right. there, mm-hmm. which is what there is here. You can't give anybody else diabetes. You can't give anybody right. else your cancer. Yeah. You don't have yeah. to get your cancer treated. By all means, don't yeah. do it. Yeah. But you don't. But if like... you go to the store, people aren't going to get it around you. No. That's the big right. difference there. Right, right. And and so. And and when it comes to infectious diseases like the flu, we haven't had to deal with it in this volume ever before, except maybe the Spanish flu mm. in the early 1900s. Um, and they had the same problems then with people that didn't want to be told what to do. So I don't know. But I know that morale is low at the hospital. I know that we are all experiencing compassion fatigue. We are resentful. We are very tired. We are running out of room and resources and we're getting mistreated a lot right now and it really sucks. So if you've been on the fence about getting vaccinated and you have some questions, I'm Happy to talk about what I know and what I don't know. I'm happy to talk to you about all the unfortunate people I've taken care of that have had COVID. Um, but I'm not going to tell you that ivermectin is the answer either. So <laughs> I yeah. I will have a good discussion about it, but I will not. If you come to me with a claim, I want you to come with your evidence. It's yeah, not that, my job to tell you why it's true or that, not true. That really is a good Occam's razor, if you will, a really good, you know, and I mean, and even I remember Richard Feynman, like in a lecture or something like that, he he said, if it doesn't, if observation doesn't match, or if the theory doesn't match the experiment, it's not science. You know, like if the, if the observation doesn't match, you know what I mean? Like, and it is, he's like, that's it. That's period. End story. Um, and that's what science is. Science is, is you make a prediction and then does that happen but or does it not happen and you have to you know and you have to change based on that you know and and i think that because maybe because it's a you know because of how we learn about science we learn about science as if it is like you said static like it's facts right you don't it's It's not 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 that it's this organic growing, constantly moving, constantly, you know, changing process, but it, it really is just that is, and if ivermectin worked, then we would use it. Right. If, um, you know, hitting yourself with frog venom or whatever worked, we'd do it. But the, you know, but those claims don't, there's no evidence for those claims, so. Yeah. And it's not that the evidence is suppressed. That's not that's not it. We don't have time for that. You know. And I mean and if you want to go down the rabbit hole and talk about how difficult it's been to do proper studies on psychedelics and things like that, yes, sure. But that's so that's a very different discussion because we're not talking about 
we're not talking about using LSD or uh, MDMA or marijuana to in the ICU to keep someone from dying. We're talking about very different classes and mm -hmm. kinds of very very different mechanics <laughs> for these drugs. So, but um. Oh, I had a relevant comic. I don't know if I wanted to talk about it right now, but okay. Uh, Up to you. You know what XKCD is. I do. But uh, it's flawed data. And you can swipe it over for the last one there. It's going to play really well on the audio podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, here. I'll read it. <laughs> all right, yeah, 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 there we go. Sorry. Uh, so you have like four, four little panels here. First panel, we realized all our data is flawed. And then good. The good so, outcome. The good outcome. So we're not sure about our conclusions. Makes sense. End of story. So if your data is flawed, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Well, man, we can't really we can't really say anything conclusively. Yeah. Um, the bad. So we did lots of math and then decided our data was actually fine. So that's some real shit, y'all. <laughs> I just... I, <laughs> as a guy who's who's spent a lot of time like looking at data, like you could get real clever clever with some math. Um, and so... And then the very bad is, so we trained an AI to generate better data. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just falsifying data. Right. Uh, yeah. Very creatively, but it's still falsifying data. I mean, the, the little postscript that they always have on there. Uh, this right here? The yellow part. The yellow part. All right. We trained it to produce data that looked convincing, and we have to admit, the results look <laughs> convincing. convincing. <laughs> so. Uh, there's an XKCD for everything. It, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I feel like that's a pretty good stopping point. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? I don't think so. I mean, I could talk for ages about how devastating COVID is to people, but we can, I mean, I don't, maybe that is worth talking about briefly is that, um, cause I'm just sort of trying to think of the things that, that, that have become such given the part, the thing that's the most devastating as a healthcare provider in this, it, it does, it's just because it is COVID. It could be something else, but as critical care providers, we like to help people, and we're really pretty good at bringing people back from the brink of death. Um, we like doing it, as weird as that sounds. Someone's about to die, and you keep them from dying. It's pretty fucking cool. Um, right now, it feels like if I stay home, it won't make a difference, or if I go to work, because everything we're doing, once you have severe COVID, and once you're on a ventilator, doesn't make much of a difference. Survival doesn't mean much, and it's just so devastating. It's so devastating to the human body. Right. And we'll learn more about it, of course, as time goes on, and we'll learn ways to treat it. And we'll, you know, somebody's out there right now cooking up drugs to figure out how to treat this specifically. Yeah. Right. And but we don't have that yet. So, right now, the best we can offer you is prevention. And when that's rejected, we're still left with a full ICU of very sick patients and we're not saving them. And they're much younger this time. And it's truly heartbreaking. And, and whenever people talk about survival, 
surviving COVID sometimes looks okay. Sure. Especially out of the ICU setting. But especially if you don't need the hospital, you might be okay. Right. Might have some like lasting like COVID fog brain stuff or I, you know, a lingering cough or shortness of breath or fatigue. That's what I've heard. My, yeah. my dad's whole family got COVID multiple times over since like, I think back in February of 2020 and then again, January of this year. Hmm. Um, and they both had severe, my dad especially had severe fog brain for months Yeah. afterwards. And then they had various like, you know, taste issues and things like that. Yeah. But yeah. You've shown me some of the music your dad listens to. I think those issues have been there for some time. <laughs> Ooh, hope he's watching. <laughs> um, <laughs> lost my train of thought on that bad joke. <laughs> Tripped me up right off the tracks. Uh, uh, yeah, all the different side effects. Uh, survival looks. Yeah, so out bad. of the ICU, survival looks like a permanent ventilator, a permanent feeding tube, very little interaction with your family members and loved ones, and most likely a long term hospital situation for. A very, very long time, if not for, until the end of your life. Yeah, we're not talking like you had a bad flu and you, you know, and you just had to have some soup and some Gatorade for a few weeks. And, and or even that, or even that you were very sick in the hospital and then went back home to your house and walking and talking. Yeah, like that's a majority of our patients. That is not what's happening. Um, yeah. We're just we're so tired of this. So many husbands and wives together. So many sons and mothers and daughters. and It's ridiculous. I remember how shocking and how terrible that was at the beginning. And it's it's so sad to think that that's become normalized now. Totally. Like even as, even as a layperson from the outside. Just multiple family members being wiped out. Yeah. Yeah. As a layperson from the outside, I can think of how many times I've seen some family like lose someone in the hospital. And it's how grave it is how huge of a deal it is and it's just happening like fucking nothing now yeah. and it has been forever i can remember one time in my entire career before covid that i had a husband and wife both sick in the icu at the same time like from the same family because they were there with like some infectious disease it was very weird they were both very sick one of them died one of them didn't and we had to like protect the one that survived and not tell them that the other one had not it was this whole thing mm. and now that's all Right. It's all the time. Like just, oh, these ones are related and these ones are related and this one's relative is upstairs and this one got better and went home, but this one is still here. It's constant. Right. It's like picking what you're going to have for lunch or, you know, yeah, it's mundane. So right. I, I remember the first few times that you came home and, and, you know, had had a, a husband and a wife die within a few days and, and how, you know, because I, I think that's a thing that I don't know. That's a that's a thing I don't think people have as much of a grasp on is that a lot of critical care medical providers really want to do that emotional work. Y'all want to be there and you want to feel it with the families as much as you possibly can so that you can still function. That's what you want to do. That's that's why you're in this game. Mm -hmm. 
and to have for there to be so much of it that you have to shut that off is i think probably traumatic for y'all in a sense it is it's devastating i watched a patient die the other day and i felt nothing that hasn't happened to me in a maybe ever yeah i lost my own mother in an icu so i know what it feels like right and now i'm watching people die and i I, I can't afford anymore. Because it's just been so it's much. It's gone. It's hundreds at this point, just in this past year. Yep. So More death than I've ever seen in my entire career combined. You know, more death than people see in war zones. Um, sometimes, and like entire tours of duty. Yeah. You know? And you don't usually wipe out entire families. <laughs> if you're good at it. No. I meant like, yeah, you know what I mean. Sorry, um, <laughs> the that, somber tone. You got that? You got that stormtrooper aim. You're not wiping out anybody. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, but like you said at the beginning, like you got into this because compassion. Yeah, and that's and I'm still trying to now. help you guys, but like when you get screamed at by everyone that you're lying and doing it wrong it sure does get old quick yeah, yeah. And well and i remember you talked you, you mentioned your mother dying in the icu i remember just to sort of you know talk about this compassion aspect is that going through that experience after you healed or, you know, started to heal and started to process things, it changed the way that you did your job. Yeah. You know, because you you all of a sudden had all this just firsthand data of how it felt to be on the other, how it felt to be a family member. And you honored that and you wanted to use that. You know, mm -hmm. you're using your whole life, your whole being, your whole experience to do the best you can for every patient and every member of that patient's family. And it's just such an incredible commitment that you had. And it's so tragic that because of people's value systems, because of their, what it, well, for whatever ideas, their identities, that they that they're not you know they're cutting not only are they cutting that experience off from you that you're not being able to be the do the things that you intend to do in the way that you would prefer to do them but they don't get to experience that side of care either because they're coming in they're come i mean but first of all it's you know the fatigue Y'all just don't have the energy to, to... Well, and just their physical presence is difficult sometimes because we still have some isolation protocols despite the new laws that have been passed in Texas. We right. still are keeping COVID patients on isolation for 10 to 20 days depending yeah. on severity of illness. So when they're not physically at the bedside, it's very difficult. Um, right. Right, right. So many last meetings with family, they'll resume... Right. And the end at the beginning and things like that, you know. Christ. So I I can't even imagine if if like that was if I if I had to 
watch my mom well you know we had to withdraw care from my mom and i had to watch it on zoom right i can't imagine how me neither i I can't no yeah i can't and to clarify my mother did not die of covid neither did mine well you shit i hope well i don't know man your mom was kind of hip like proto (laughs) way ahead of the curve i got covid in 2016 um so but uh but yeah anyway keeping it light keeping it light fun and (laughs) fun and anything fun and funny anyone else got anything they want to throw out there (laughs) I don't think so, well, but no. <laughs> vaccines are safe. We're still going to try and help you when you come to the hospital. We're running out of space. We're running out of resources. Please get vaccinated. If you got questions about it, hit me up. If you want to fight, go fight with your wife or your husband. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> drop don't drop it. All right, guys. Adios.